The clock ticked late in the evening before Amber Ark became tired, the girl nodding off in Sapphire's arms, only to be carried off to bed by the older woman. It was strange in a way to see a girl now 15 year old act like that, yet it felt like every other part of the Ark family treat their sisters like a second mother. Given the size of the family, perhaps it was necessary. Along with the other students of Beacon, Wyas had offered to stay behind and help to clean the room, at least enough so the hotel staff wouldn't freak out come the morning. In a sense, they had all been invited guests, simply friends of the family who had invited themselves in to the event. It only made sense that they helped clean it up. If Yang had grumbled at that, she'd been quickly glared down and given up. It was only polite, and besides, his family had gone out of their way to welcome them. It was the least they could do. You'll be going back to Ansel tomorrow then? Blake asked. Anyone might have thought it odd for her to be the one to speak. But given her pathological fear of Jean's intended, it made sense she would be eager. That's right, Juniper said. Sadly, we can't stay for any longer. <sighs> Not much point anyway. Jean huffed, filling a waste bag with some discarded paper cups. It was a miracle he was even helping them at all, but maybe he just didn't fancy his chances lazing off in front of not only his mother, but also his partner. We're stuck in Beacon tomorrow anyway. She thought that a strange way to say it, but hummed in agreement. The school reopened its doors on the weekend before the first classes, with instructions that students were to return by no later than 6 on the Sunday evening. With the hotel costs beginning to rack up, Weiss had neither the funding nor the inclination to pay for Yang, Ruby, Blake and her to stay here. Jean likely faced the same situation. At least Beacon covered their cost. Are you looking forward to going back again, sweetie? His mother asked, earning an odd look from Jean. He shrugged in answer, not really saying either way. Weiss ignored it. He was likely just not looking forward to the work expected of him. Now that she knew he could wake up early and could put effort into things, she wasn't exactly going to let him get away with as much as he had before. He would train. He would become a better team leader. And by the gods, he would score higher on his theory assignments. Mmm, I can't find it. Ruby whined loudly, cutting into her thoughts. Did you bring it with you? I don't know. I didn't think to check. What's wrong? Jean's father asked, lifting his head from where he was knelt on the floor. Ah, uh, nothing. Yang waved a hand. Ruby's just misplaced something. No worries. Why shrugged and went back to her cleaning, lifting a bag filled with streamers over to one side of the room. Music notwithstanding, the night hadn't been a bad one. Too loud and revocations for her, but also heartwarming in a way only a family could be. It was a nice break from Beacon at least and not nearly as lonely as she found staying in her own tell to be. It was nice to have a little company, even if her father would have been horrified to imagine her sharing a room with someone who had once been part of the White Fang. Better Blake than Jean in her opinion, however. What if he brought back some woman who had been sharing a small hotel room? Well, that was obvious. She'd have sent the woman packing and then froze him to the ceiling. But still... It would have been awkward. Oh. Juniper Ark winced as she pushed herself up, one hand on her knee. Are you okay? Weiss asked, dropping the bag and moving to help. The woman held a hand out. 
stopping Lois while smiling brightly. Jean's mother was a beautiful woman for sure, somehow capable of being both passionate and elegant, while still maintaining discipline over so large family. Don't worry about me. She chuckled. I've seen worse messes than this in Jean's underwear drawer. Thank you, Mum. Jean called sarcastically, ignoring Norris' muffled laughter. It's not that, Wise said. Is it safe for you to be moving around so much? Is it safe? Jean asked, appearing beside her. Safe for what? For the baby, obviously. Really? What had he thought she meant? Wise bent down to pick up another discarded piece of rubbish and put it in her bin bag. Under the scowl as Jean's hit the ground, erupting and spilling cups everywhere. You dolt. She sighed. Be a little more careful. His face made the words die in her throat. We wondered how long it would take you to notice. Juniper laughed, touching her stomach with one hand. We were going to tell you tonight, Jean, but I suppose this is as good time as ever. You're going to be a big brother again. It was good news. Happy news, and yet Jean's reaction was... Not what Weiss would have expected. He took a step back in what could have almost been considered fear. His eyes were wide, like a wild animal that had been cornered. How? He whispered. When? You've slept with more women in the past year than I have in my entire life, Nicholas Ark said. If you're about to ask how babies are made, I'll kick your ass myself. Now, Nikki. The pregnant woman laughed. To be fair to her partner, it didn't show. Nothing more than a small bump which the woman easily concealed. She was probably used to doing that, since she'd given birth to eight, soon to be nine, children. We think it happened here in Vale, she continued, back when we came here to visit the city with you. After Weiss's concert, Jean whispered, that was a detail Weiss could have done without, and she grimaced at the thought of her music inspiring people to... Well, the less thought on it, the better. This isn't possible. Science says otherwise. Weiss rolled her eyes. As does our doctor and my stomach, sweetie. Juniper laughed. Really, Jean? It's not as nearly as big deal as you're making it out to be. Right. Yeah, yeah. He took a step back, clearly trying for a calm expression but failing miserably. Weiss knew she wasn't the only one watching him with some concern. Yang and Blake looked worried, while Ruby and the rest of her team were expressions of confusion. And nothing big at all. He laughed. <laughs> I'm just overreacting. Jean? Weiss asked, taking a step forward. What? <laughs> what? I- I- I'm just surprised, you know. Just surprised. That much is evident. Weiss scoffed. Why don't you sit down before you- There was a loud thud as Jean completely failed to sit down, instead collapsed to the ground as his legs gave way. Weiss was left standing before him, hand outstretched as though holding the invisible gun which had shot him. I didn't do anything, she said automatically, wincing a second later at how stupid she sounded. Is he okay? Juniper asked, rushing forward. She could never hope to beat Ruby, however, who appeared at his side in a blue of rose petals. Yang came close behind, 
kneeling opposite and checking his head. He's fine, the blonde called. His aura stopped the impact from actually doing any damage. I... I think he just fainted. She tried to smother a laugh at that. Not gonna let him live this down. I guess the shock was just too much for him. Nicholas sighed, walking over and grabbing his son by the shoulders. He grunted as he lifted him, Yang and Ruby helping by grabbing a leg each. I can't wait for the day I get to see some women tell him he got her pregnant. You going to feed then as well? Or can I expect something better? Be nice. Juniper winced. I seem to remember a certain huntsman also becoming equated with the floor when I told him. June. Nicholas Arc whined, showing that yes, he was Jean's father. Let's get the lazy bones here to his room, he said to Yang and Ruby, leading them out of the door. Talk about a dramatic way to get out of cleaning. Well... Why shrugged as her partner was carted away. That was unexpected. <sighs> Quite a lot with my son is. Juniper sighed. I'm glad he has people like you and your team to look after him. He can look after himself for the most part. As lazy as he is, he hasn't lost a single bout at Beacon. There had been the one he forfeited for, not to mention the technical draw when both he and Yang had been stopped by Miss Goodwitch. But neither of those could really be considered losses. He intended both outcomes after all. She just knew it. His reaction to his mother's pregnancy though. That was a little bizarre. Was there something there she didn't know? Was his mother's health at risk? A reason for him to fear for her. The lavender girl was sickly. Also Blake had warned them. Which might have been the reason for Jean's obvious panic. She would have to ask him when he woke up. If you'll even tell me. Getting answers out of him is like squeezing fair razors out of my father. Weiss blinked as she felt the other woman watching her. Turning in time to see Jean's mother smile. What? Weiss asked. Is there something on my face? Not at all, honey. Juniper smiled. I was just wondering how to go about asking something of you. Why sighed. I'll keep an eye on him. She promised. Juniper seemed surprised at the sudden words. It was obvious you're worried about him. What self-respecting mother wouldn't be? He's stronger than he gives on, which wouldn't be too hard considering how he acts. But even so, I'll try and make sure he stays safe at Beacon. Trying to confront someone was a new experience, one she hadn't had much practice in, nor one she felt too good at. Even now, she coughed awkwardly, looking aside. <clears throat> you don't have to worry. He is strong. Juniper agreed. Sometimes I think he's too strong, if that makes sense. He doesn't react with hurt when someone insults him. He doesn't get angry when I feel he should. Weiss listened. Recalling that time when they accused him of being bullied by Winchester. At the time, he expressed surprise. What she had assumed was him lying to try and ignore it was taking place. Had he honestly not even realized? It can be a relief at times to not have to worry about someone breaking his heart. But at the same time, it also frightens me. I've asked so many people. My doctor. His teacher. My friends who have their own children. Perhaps he's just more mature than most people. Weiss offered. 
She was no different in that regard. Her family had taught her early on to ignore what other people said, how to deal with the harsh criticism that would be laid on her for simply the last name she held. A snee could not afford to break down in tears after all. Not when someone might take a picture and put it in a newspaper. People can learn to ignore or not to react to things like insults. It's just about having a thick skin or being confident in yourself. People only learn that through experience. Juniper smiled. There was something about the expression that seemed painfully sad, however. We learn to ignore the cruel words of others because they are thrown at us. We learn to live without money because we have none. That's true. Weiss accepted, even if she had and would likely never experience the latter. Do you know that when Jean was injured, we were sent a medical report? Weiss winced at that, muttering a quick apology. It wasn't their fault, or at least it wasn't hers. But she couldn't help but feel they should have found Blake sooner, or maybe being better teammates so that she never felt she could not trust them in the first place. When we received it, we were understandably horrified. My little boy. So close to death. It was hard for me not to rush over there in person. Weiss could imagine. But when Nicky managed to calm me down and we learned he was recovering, it became a little easier to bear. Instead, we waited for him to call us. For him to tell us what had happened so I could make sure with my own eyes that he was okay. He didn't call, did he? He didn't. Damn him. More so for making her feel awkward as the woman beside her dabbed her watery eyes. He never once called us to tell he was okay. And when we called him, he didn't even mention it. He acted like it never happened. He probably didn't want to worry you. Why said, he would have known how scared you'd become, and I doubt the teachers told him they'd sent you a report. Even if he should have known, they would. It was standard procedure after all. Surely he knew that. I don't think it worried him. Juniper said, making the heiress pause. What did she mean by that? I asked him again if he'd been hurt when he met with us at the station and he said he hadn't been. He said to my face, I think his exact words were, I came out fine. He did not come out fine. Why sighed, feeling a spike of irritation. Blake hadn't come out fine and she'd been on her feet the next morning. Fine was injured. Fine was completely safe and green aura. To you and to me, perhaps. But my worries that to Jean, near-death injuries are considered fine. What? Why scoffed? Don't be ridiculous, he... Did your teammate tell you about the time Jean saved my life? The older woman interrupted. Weiss closed her mouth and nodded. Blake had shared it with them, as shocking as the tale had been. Weiss had faced her own grim before Beacon. The scar on her face was a constant reminder, but she had aura in her training to fall back on, not to mention an actual weapon. That was the first time I realized something was wrong with my son. Juniper said, probably wrong, at least. I don't think what he did was strange. He clearly cares about you and your family. Mothers and fathers risk their lives to protect their children all the time. Is it really so strange to see the reverse happen? Not in what he did. 
It's in how he acted. Did your friend tell you that he nearly died? She... mentioned it. Why said? She could already feel what little good mood she had left Wendell. Damn John. Damn him for making her feel like this. There was no way it was going to be good news. Not with that kind of build up. My son lay dying on the floor. Why scrimmanced? She'd been right. There was blood pooling around him. A monster of nightmares turning to nothingness beside him. He never cried though, Weiss. He didn't even look like he registered the pain. Weiss's eyes drifted shut. (laughs) He just asked whether his sisters were okay. Damn him. Damn him to hell. I'll look after him. Weiss promised. Someone clearly had to. The night air was cold, made more so by the heavy rain that drenched the derelict area. Disused warehouses, carefully sealed containers and abandoned construction machinery. Vale had such many districts, often in a state of disarray. This was one no different, rainwater purging loudly off metal machinery. But the shapes that moved between them were unusual. It was more alive than it should have been. Figures looked futively left and right, dressed in a manner of clothing but for one. Common. Accessory. A white mask. Stylized after a grim. One such man hesitated in the shadows of a crane. Blonde mop of hair still as he looked for the others. Occasionally, Faunus would glance his way. Their eyes would turn aside soon enough. No one dared to look at anyone else. As though by refusing to make eye contact, their identities would be kept secret should the worst happen. It was a silly hope. He thought so too as he blew warm air into his cold, wet palms. A stone tinkled off some nearby rubble, catching his attention as he spun to look into the shadows. The pebble continued to fall, kicking up a small cloud of dust as it tumbled down a pile of broken stone and rock. It came to settle at the bottom, a faint squeaking sound as some rodent hurried off in panic. The masked man let out a sigh, leaning back in relief as a pair of arms reached over his shoulders. The man's scream was cut off as a hand clamped over his mouth. That didn't stop the muffled cry, nor the sound of his feet kicking against stone as he dragged the man back behind the vehicle. Sorry about this, his attacker said, slamming him face first into the metal arm of the machine before throwing him to the floor. One arm failed ineffectively before him being casually battered away as knees settled on either side of him. Please, we... A fist slammed into the man's jaw, knocking his head back as his vision faded. Above him, his attacker lifted him by the collar, pausing a second to make sure there was no movement. Huh, he said, letting the body fall. Guess you didn't even have any aura. There was no answer from the poor guy. Not that Jean expected any. In a way, he supposed it made sense. It wasn't like the White Fang actually cared all that much about their goons and grunts. Give them a gun and point them towards the enemy. Aura was an optional extra and only for those who actually knew how to fight. <laughs>
they must have been different ones. Back when they could create people like Blake and Adam. But clearly standards had fallen. That or desperate times had called for unfortunate measures. It wasn't any of his business. None of it was. As he reached down and removed the mask the idiot wore. A little scuffed and dirty now, but it wasn't like anyone would comment on it. The biggest issue was his lack of animal features. Hopefully it wouldn't come up. Most of the people he'd seen coming to and from had been harmless civilians. Too terrified to even make eye contact, let alone challenge someone on what could have been his hidden animal traits. Ozpin would have a heart attack if he knew where Jean was now. Especially after what he'd managed the last time he'd been trespassing around an industrial district. Hopefully this time the night could end without the need for explosions, fires, or flaming bullheads. There was no need for heroics this time. Not that such had been the plan the last. The docks had gone south because he had been unprepared. Because he hadn't realised that anything was wrong until Ruby had appeared before him, and not in Vale. In hindsight, the actual cause for all this was something he'd miss. Ruby hadn't met Penny. Such a small thing to miss. But the effects had been huge. Things would be different this time. His little sister had taught him as much. You couldn't ignore a problem and hope it would go away. The White Fang and Blake's involvement was a problem. It needed to be dealt with. It's 1.30. Jean read from his scroll, sighing at the ridiculous hour. Not to mention the range wrenching his hair. Of course, the White Fang couldn't meet at a reasonable time, but this was pushing it a bit much. Didn't most of these people have jobs too? With a sigh, he stood back up, gripping his victim's collar with both hands and dragging him into the footrest of the crane's cabin. He'd wake up with a splitting headache, not to mention stiff muscles, but at least he wouldn't drown in a puddle. The mask settled over Jean's face a second later, his vision quickly becoming limited by the eye holes. A quick wait for 20 seconds or so, just to make sure he hadn't been heard and Jean was out and walking nervously down the main path, mimicking those around him as he kept his eyes to the floor, posture hunched. It was easy to mimic being nervous, since he had no idea what he was getting himself into. Torchwick shouldn't be there, since from what Blake had told them all before the time she had caught him, had been when he was formally introducing himself as an ally. If he was absent, then the recruits wouldn't yet know they were working alongside humans, which would mean no Neo, Cinder, Mercury, or Emerald either. It was those certainties which had given him the confidence to try this in the first place. The only real threat he could come across would be Adam, which, admittedly, would be the end of him. But only if he was caught. One flash of red hair and he was out. That shouldn't be a problem, though. Even when I worked with Cinder... I didn't actually see Adam until the near end. If his fear was right, and with a little good luck, this should be little more than a white fang meet and greet. That a recruitment drive, small fry either way. Jean kept his eyes down as the crowd approached a pair of white fang soldiers, their uniforms and weapons in place as they inspected each of the people entering. They looked bored and tired, as at odds with the weather as he was. Yet... Jean watched as one man had his head lifted up and tilted to the side. 
the soldier nodding and whispering something as he was allowed to enter. They were checking to make sure they were real faunas. Shit. Slipping out of line now wasn't something that seemed to bother anyone. A few people looked his way but likely decided he was having second thoughts. Even those white fang members at the gate only glanced dismissively at him. Maybe they were happy to not have someone so easily spooked amongst their ranks. The moment he was out of their sight, however, Jean turned back, ducking behind some masonry and creeping his way to the back. The cover of darkness was useless, something more people than just General Eugene had forgotten in his time. Every single person there could see him if he stepped out of cover. Luckily, it being a ruined and abandoned warehouse district, there was no shortage of crap to hide behind. And there was also no shortage of ways into decrepit buildings. The White Fang had people manning the obvious ones, broken doorways and holes in the walls. Others were too high up for him to chance, windows on second or third stories that might not even have floors on the other side. Someone like Ruby might have given up already and gone loud. He had all night, however. Or, well, at least another two or three hours. There. Blue eyes narrowed in on a steel door, locked solid with a strange device on the side. The White Fang had left it unguarded because to them, it was unassailable. A locked door that required a key to gain access. Knocking it down would have required explosives or power tools too. At which point a guard to raise an alarm was probably a bit pointless. A small blade slipped from his sleeve, little more than a cutting knife stolen from the hotel kitchens. It was strong enough to twist the screws loose on the side of the plate, removing it entirely and leaving the keypad open in the middle of a mess of wires. He bit on the knife, keeping it between his teeth as he worked. Wish I could see it in the dark. Apart from the whole racist thing, Faunus have it pretty good. There was a tiny spark as a wire cut, his eyes flicking up to watch the first digit spin and flicker out of existence. Hacking electronics was... not quite as glamorous as the movies made it out to be. For one thing, it wasn't really hacking. Especially not without he was doing it. That suggested clever and sophisticated access. Maybe him finding the codes and using them to unlock the door. In truth, he was just trying to break it in such a way that the door opened. There would be plenty of evidence left behind. If the White Fang cared about that kind of thing. A few more sparks. A couple of muttered curses as he yielded no results. But with a soft put, the door unlocked. Swallowing slightly, Jean pushed it open. Cringing as he waited for some blaring alarm to sound. Nothing. The building was too old for its alarms to still work. Guess I can be lucky occasionally. He chuckled slipping in and pushing it shut behind him. The lights were on inside, though he had no idea why. Surely a faunus meeting would have been better served in complete darkness. Was it a force of habit? Or maybe some way of saying they weren't afraid? Either way, it wasn't like anyone would notice the lights. The entire district was abandoned. People were gathering over in a small group in the middle of the warehouse, while others in White Fang uniforms stood on the edges, one on a raised platform. The absence of the paladins was telling. Clearly Roman either hadn't moved them, or hadn't revealed them yet. That was fine. 
This wasn't about destroying them, but it had been at one stage. Destroy the paladins, prevent Blake having to investigate them, and thus, he could rest easy that there would be no issue for the early part of next term. If he sorted it out before Roman got involved, then he could even avoid drawing any more of his attention. It had taken a good night's sleep for him to realize the insanity of that plan. One man against the White Fang wasn't much of an option. He had experience on his side, not to mention a truckload of foreknowledge, but in terms of strength and speed, even Blake was better than he. If she couldn't take them out, and she knew them best, then he wasn't going to be able to, which had gotten him thinking of other options. It looked like the speech would start soon. The main doors had been closed, the White Fang members guarding them moving inwards. Jean pushed his way into what must have been a storage room, crouching behind some barrels. His hand delved into his pocket, drawing out a scroll. It was pitted and marked, older than his. Fingers danced across the screen, inputting what he knew would be the password. Summer. The screen flared to life, showing an image of Ruby and Yang, younger and full of happiness. Crouched before two smiling figures, the family looked so happy, so carefree. He swallowed his guilt. She made it too easy. Poor Ruby with her constant hugging. At the very least, it was going to a good cause, and presumably there would be other copies of the beautiful picture. It vanished as he brought up the contact list, scrolling down until he found the one he wanted. <sighs> the person on the other end groaned. Ruby. Seriously? It's not even... Jean knew why the recipient cut off. Through the screen's camera, all it could see was a dark room and the illuminated face of a man wearing a terrorist mask. Who the hell are you? Crow snarled, suddenly awake. How do you have this scroll? And where's my niece? I swear if you've done any- The girl is fine. Jean growled, keeping his voice as low as possible. As for me, consider me a friend. Really? Well, what say you and I meet for some drinks? My friend and I always go for a few rounds. Maybe another time. Jean chuckled. I can see you're having trouble trusting me. Crow looked unimpressed with his detective skill. That's fine. Trust isn't necessary. If you're going to waste my time, then do us both a favor and throw yours. Brothers and sisters. Crow's insult was cut off by a loud call. The Faunus on the stage raising his arms in the air. The crowd went silent, as did Crow. All of them listening in. With what a subtle grin, Jean turned his scroll around, aiming it so that the huntsman could watch the scene unfolding. Those of you who have come are brave indeed, courageous souls willing to fight for freedom, for equality and fair treatment. Jean tuned it out. It was the usual prattle, self-congratulatory bullshit designed to make the speaker and those listening feel empowered and special. It was pathetic. Most of the people listening wouldn't make a difference other than those unfortunate enough to deal with the bodies. The White Fang didn't want heroes or revolutionaries. They wanted martyrs. Nothing more. A little ironic to be so scathing. Jean fought with a grin. He was perhaps the biggest martyr of all. Though not through choice. The reminder of his condition made him pause. There had always been a clear definition before, a clear 
line between those who died and those that lived. He fought to protect his friends, his team and those around him, to try and save Beacon. He would have sacrificed Beacon if that was what it took, but Pyrrha always died atop that tower, something which was not acceptable. Going back had always been a relief. It was his curse, but also his gift too. It was a gift because one day it would work. One day he would find a way to fix everything and save everyone, at which point he could only hope it would stop it all. But, whatever it was and however it worked, there had never been any losses before. Those that died were returned to life. There had never been a case of someone being written out of existence. Not until his mother had gotten pregnant. His eyes clenched shut, breath coming out in ragged gasp as he thought of that. He was going to be a brother. Again. Or rather, in this life he would be a brother. Would he ever be that again? It didn't seem possible that she would have another child in the old lifetimes. He'd run away in each, which wasn't a situation that was going to make his parents want to expand their family. Comfort was one thing, but he knew his mother and father, at least now. They wouldn't stop until they found out he was safe. They would ask themselves if they had made a mistake, if it were something they had done to drive him away. They wouldn't want to bring a life into that. They said it was probably at Vale too, which only happened because of me. Because of that trip which was a celebration of my surviving the Beowulf. Even if he went back, that would only occur if he spent his life with his family again. Never once training and just spending his time with them. That might recreate the series of events that led to their pregnancy, but there was no guarantee it would be the same child. And what would that change? If he dedicated more lives to time off, just to let his little brother or sister be born, then it was just another life where he was a lamb for Cinder to slaughter. He hadn't been able to beat her with two full years of intensive training before Beacon. Training where he had run away and dedicated every waking hour of every day to forging himself into a weapon. Time spent destroying his emotions taking away everything that made him human. That life and this child were mutually exclusive. One could not exist without the other. But, he had to defeat Cinder to save everyone, to save his family too. Cinder's revolution would take Ansel in time. Nowhere was safe. He had to train. He had to fight her. He had to do everything he could to make sure he was as strong as possible which meant he was going to kill his soon unborn sibling. Was his body shaking? It felt like every muscle inside of him shivered, before finally going still. Dull eyes opening once more as the speaker on the stage finally finished. And that is why we must gather, brothers and sisters. We'll gather here in Vale for the final battle. But for that we need more brave warriors. More people willing to fight for what rightfully belongs to us. So tell your friends, tell your family, but only those you can trust. Remember, we are the future. You are the future. We shall all be the ones to inherit Vale. Jean slouched back down as the assembled masses began to talk among themselves, not disappearing but rather spreading out to mingle and ferment, as all unruly rabbers did. Crow's face on the other side of the scroll 
was solemn and silent. Why show this to me? He asked. He tilted the scroll away once more, obscuring the man from seeing his face any more than he already had. Wait! Crow hissed, keeping his voice quiet. Where did you get this scroll? Did you hurt my niece? Would you trust anything I said? No. I'll find out for myself. The man's eyes narrowed. Your wife Fang. Or a traitor to them at least. Who are you? A friend. Like I'm going to accept that. What's your goal in all of this? Don't change your number. Jean said, reaching for the end call button. I'll contact you again soon. Wait! The call died. The screen going black. But Jean's fingers worked quickly, blocking the man's number. And then just in case, also the one labelled Daddy as well. They would be unable to reach her, though they could call Yang to find out if Ruby was safe, or Pira, if she shared her number with them. Either way, they wouldn't be able to call this device, but they could track it. He put it down in the storeroom, pushing it back behind some barrels. Beacon had the ability to locate the scrolls of their students, a safety precaution for trainee huntsmen missing on missions. Crow wouldn't have access to that, but he did have access to Ozpin. They would assume this friend of theirs was going to keep hold of it. Why else disable incoming calls and mention that he would call again in the future? They wouldn't find him, however. What they would find was a warehouse the White Fang intended to use for storage of stolen military equipment. Blake would investigate the White Fang. She was stubborn afraid and wrecked with guilt. But she only felt such actions were necessary because the authorities did nothing. Because to her eyes, the Hunters of Vale took no action against them. He couldn't stop the White Fang meeting, nor could he stop Blake feeling she had to investigate them. But maybe he could convince her that others could handle this. It couldn't hurt to try. The walk back to the hotel was a cold one. With his new black shirt and bare forearms, the rainwater trenched his form, leaving him shivering slightly. The coat had been something he'd forced to leave in a safe spot outside the warehouse. The colour was too bright. The design styled after the White Fang's biggest enemies. It would have been too much of a risk. By the time he'd come back for it, the fabric was as drenched as he was. He was cold, wet, and miserable. But not as much as Wise, who stood outside the hotel door clutching her arms for warmth. Wise? He asked, worried. His partner looked up at him. Her hair was drenched, wet and lank against both her forehead and back. The rainwater seemed to run down her ponytail, dripping past her bare legs. The poor girl shook and shivered, breath coming out in visible gouts of steam. But her eyes were as sharp as ever, going from wide-eyed surprise to rage in a matter of nanoseconds. Where have you been? She snapped, her teeth chattering loudly. Why are you standing out in the rain? It was all he could think to say. Isn't it of why sneezed? Or as Yang would have had it, sneezed. I decided to check on you. To, to, to see if you had recovered. 
And you were gone. Ah. What was he supposed to say to that? No doubt the reason she was waiting here was because she hadn't been able to contact him. It would have been beyond foolish to take his scroll with him, knowing that Osman could track him. The anklet was a risk, but one he was fairly sure the headmaster wouldn't think to check. After all, he hadn't tried to leave Vale. But an answer for Weiss? Ah, uh, well, I went for a walk. I woke up with a bit of a headache, and you know, I thought some fresh air would help clear it up. So you just... She sneezed once more. Went for a walk. In the rain. Without telling anyone. In my defense, I thought you would be asleep. We thought you were asleep. Why snarled, droplets flicking from her face. You fell unconscious. You could have been hurt and yet you went out to just walk around town like an idiot. What if you had a concussion? Were you worried about me? He asked, a small grin worming its way onto his face. You are insufferable. She gritted through chittering teeth. And you're drenched. Jean sighed, stepping up to touch her shoulder. The material was soaked through, sticking to her skin. She tried to pull away but nearly stumbled, only his quick reactions preventing it. You'll be lucky if you don't catch a cold from this. And whose fault would that be? Technically it would be. Weiss's eyes promised death if he finished that sentence. My fault? Weiss sneezed loudly, shoulders hunched. Jean shrugged off his white jacket, holding it open and out for her to climb into. Her eyes glared at it, then at him. It'll be warmer than what you're wearing, he said. And you'll be left with nothing more than a t-shirt. She shot back. Keep it. I'm not... <laughs> she sneezed again. Going to be responsible for you getting a cold. So stubborn. Jean sighed. Come on now. He placed his hands on her shoulders, guiding her towards the main door. Let's get you inside where it's a little bit warmer. Weiss allowed herself to be pushed inside. He with a hand on each of her shoulders from behind. She was still shaking. He could feel the vibrations through her body, which instinctively stepped a little closer for warmth. At any time he might have teased her for that. Right now, she generally needed the heat. Aren't you going to apologize? She asked, blowing hot air into her hands. The two of them were stood in the doorway, letting the hot air from the heating system wash over them. I am sorry for getting you wet, Weiss. Weiss stiffened beneath his hands, making him sigh. And I am sorry for making you all worry. He said, closing his eyes as her muscles relaxed. His thumb splayed out a little, messaging heat into her cold flesh. She didn't pull away. I should have said something. Hmm, you should have. Her eyes glanced back into his form from over her shoulder. They were stern and sharp, as they always were. You can't just disappear like that. Why sighed? It was bad enough when Blake did it. We don't need you doing the same. I am sorry. The heiress sighed, reaching behind to take hold of her ponytail and draw it before her. She didn't make him move his hands, nor did she step away. 
Instead, she squeezed the hair in her hands, bringing water out across the floor. A nearby attendant looked like he wanted to say something but feared for his life. Good choice. You don't have to do things on your own all the time. Wise said, still trying to sort out her wet hair. Whether you deserve the position or not, you are still the leader of our team. We look... The others look up to you. They shouldn't. He was nothing compared to them. Not in terms of strength or character. Blake and Weiss were the kinds of people who would likely go on to change the world. Yang would be the kind of person to make sure nothing ever happened to them. He? He was just a normal guy. He'll find a way to fix this. He'll find a way to end those repeats. And then he would fade away. I know that in the past when we've talked about teams, it's mostly been about responsibility. Why sighed? I know I've not always made it clear. But there are benefits to being on a team too. There are four of us. You don't have to do everything on your own. She shrugged one of her shoulders lightly, dislodging his hand as she stepped away from him and towards one of the elevators. Jean watched her go, thinking on her words. He couldn't involve them. Not in the things he'd done this night, nor the ones before. If he was going to be acting out against the White Fang like this, then it would be dangerous. They were strong. Each of them individually stronger than he. But strength wasn't always what was needed. He couldn't take her up on that offer. But that didn't make the words useless. Weiss. He called making her pause as she pushed the button to call the lift. She didn't look back, but she did cock her head to the side. Thank you. That means more than you realize. <laughs> Weiss flicked the hand dismissively, stepping into the elevator as it opened. Before the door slid shut, he caught her expression, not to mention the almost arrogant smile. He would also imagine how much she must have been cursing herself for the sudden sneeze that transformed her features. Hunching the girl over as the doors chimed shut, cutting off her scandalized expression. Maybe. Maybe the night hadn't been as bad as he expected it to be. Would sir like a mop? Beacon had its familiar charm, even if his presence there was forced this time. It was hard to hate the walls and furnishings of a place he considered home, laid on his bed with arms crossed beneath his head. Jean pretended to be dozing off as he listened to the fruits of his labor. White Fang recruit shut down in Vale? Blake read, eyes wide. Reports indicate a huntsman assault on an abandoned warehouse in the industrial district led to several White Fang supporters being captured including evidence of intensive recruitment activities in the local area. Crow moved fast. He supposed he should have expected that. It had only been two days since he made that call, but the man wouldn't have let something like that slip away from him. Within their dorm room, it was just the three of them, Yang having chosen to spend her Saturday back in Patch with her father and sister, promising to be back sometime today. Beacon officially reopened on Saturday which was why many students returned to take advantage of the free room and board. 
In an ideal world, it would have been better if he could have made it so that Crow found the Paladins. That would have shut down not only the Fang, but also removed some of the biggest tools in the breach. The problem was knowing when and where those were, and at what time Roman transported them to the warehouse. He'd worked for Roman, but the guy wasn't foolish enough to share that kind of information. This would have to do for now. Nice to see the local authorities are stepping up. Weiss coughed, sniffing slightly as she rubbed a tissue against her red nose. She glared at him across the room, just as a quick reminder of who she blamed for the gold. At least it wasn't as bad as yesterday, in which he felt guilty enough to be roped into fetching her meals at NT all day long. Do you think they would just ignore terrorists? Jean asked, hiding a small smile. It sounded like such a silly notion. Yet wasn't that just what they had done? In truth, it hadn't. Ozpin, Ironwood, and the rest of their people had been keeping close tabs on the rise of the faction. But that wasn't something that had been obvious to them at the time. More importantly, it hadn't been obvious to Blake. One eye cracked open as he looked towards the Faunus, checking her reaction. Blake's eyes were wide as she continued to read the scroll, yellow eyes slowly shifting from one side of the page to the other. She looked healthy, however, no bags under her eyes or signs of exhaustion. That was a good sign. They always seemed to before. Blake whispered. More likely they were compiling evidence. Wise said, trying to find out where they had to take them out in one fell swoop. An operation like that had to require some planning. Weiss had no idea how wrong she was. Though, that could be forgiven since Crow was a bit of a crazy one when it came to be a huntsman. Most likely he just burst into the warehouse, slamming everyone in his way aside as he made sure Ruby wasn't there. Or maybe he checked before and found out she was okay. He could half imagine the man just going there for his niece's scroll. Guess I'll find out when Yang and Ruby come back. Jean's scroll beeped once, his eyes watching it with a bored expression. Aren't you going to read that? Weiss demanded, and the tone of voice she used said she would if he didn't. Yes, dear. He sighed, picking it up and ignoring her splattering. The message was from Galinda, or Miss Goodwitch as most terrified students called her, and sadly, it was not the long-awaited ballroom call he'd been dreaming of. What is it? Mandatory meetings with Dr. Oblek. Jean held the cool metal against his forehead, releasing a short sigh. He'd forgotten all about them. He could skip, but then Miss Goodwitch would come and collect him again. It wasn't like they would disappear either. Oblek was patient and insistent. He would just keep adding to them. What for? Weiss pushed herself up on her bed, still in her pajamas with one hand on her pillow. She clutched a warm blanket to herself, wrapping it around one shoulder. We've been back in Beacon for less than a day. What could you have possibly done? Why do you assume I've done anything at all? Weiss and Blake stared at him. Ouch. Talk about faith. Neither of them relented in their stares. Okay. Fine. There was something arranged before we broke up last term. It's not detentions. So, what is it? Just talks. Jean said, turning onto his side and away from them. About? About philosophy. Jean drawled. About the sanctity of human life. He could hear Weiss pause, no doubt trying to come to grips with what he said. 
There was no way he was going to let them know the truth of what the matter was, especially since it wasn't anything to worry about. The teachers feared he was going to go insane from grief, self-doubt, or guilt. The usual problems someone might face after their first kill. The rules didn't apply to him. He'd been doing this for centuries. Maybe it had hurt, once upon a time. But if so, then the memory was so far back as to have been forgotten. A yawn threatened to break free, only to be stuffed into his pillow. Guess who's back? Yang screamed, slamming the door to their room open. Yay. Jean cheered limply, holding one arm up when it became clear no one else was going to speak. You guys suck. Yang sighed, her foot force echoing across the floor as she lowered her back against the bed. Seriously, no energy whatsoever? But I brought something that might change that. Hmm. This was new. He didn't think Yang ever bothered to bring something. Blake cried out in shock, while Weiss gasped in joy. As filled with cold as that sounded, Jean turned over to have a look, chuckling slightly to himself when he saw what had caused all the commotion. Ah, Jean thought to himself, that. Woof! You brought a dog? Blake hissed, scooting back into her bed and looking around in panic. It only occurred to him that they hadn't made bunk beds in the room, and never bothered him since Juniper had an Ivar. But right now the facts seemed a problem to Blake. The corgi noticing movement ran over to investigate, placing its paws on the edge of the bed and wiggling its stubbly tail towards her. Back! The fauna shooed. Go away! His name is Zui. Yang grinned, ignoring her partner's plight. He's my dad's dog, but he said I could bring him here when we asked. It's even in the school rules. I checked. He can't stay here. Blake shouted. Tell her, Weiss. We can't have a dog in the dorm. Ah, uh, poor, innocent Blake. She probably thought the heiress, even a stickler for the rules, would be on her side in the matter. Jean knew better. Ah, oh, he's so adorable. The white-haired girl gushed, sitting on the floor on her hands and knees as she rubs his stomach. He's a good boy. You are. Yes, you are. Weiss! Blake looked betrayed. Looks like Weiss is all for Team Jazzberry. Yang teased, pronouncing it J-B-Wiz, as though making them all cringe. Jean won't be, Blake said confidently. Jean leaned back, not daring to blink as he suddenly came under the gaze of three very dangerous sets of eyes. Oh look, there was the instant agree with me now gaze of Blake. The if you dare to disagree with me expression from Weiss, and the how could you do such a thing eyes from Yang. He was safe from answering by a pair of paws tapping on his leg. Zui looked up at him, black eyes impossibly loving. He even tilted his head to the side, one ear flopping against his skull. Jean? Someone whispered. He ignored it, reaching down to place his arm beneath Zui's forelegs. The dog kicked with his back ones, pushing his way up the trousered legs so that he could turn around in John's lap three times, settling down with a plop. It was impossible to stop the smile which sped across his face as he stroked the dog's soft fur. Good boy. He whispered, grinning as the corgi yawned and rested its head on his thigh, dozing off. 
He was so warm and soft. Jean couldn't help but keep stroking him. That was, until he realized there was complete silence in the room. What? He looked at his three teammates. What's wrong? It's just odd. Why I said to see you smiling like that, patting a little dog. You look happy, Blake added. Eh, I like dogs, Jean said, cradling the small pup in his lap. Zui seems to like you too, Yang grinned, bouncing on her feet. Yes, that means he gets to stay. Yay. Blake sighed, unwillingly echoing his early sarcasm. Jean chuckled, leaving them to their chatter, even ignoring the looks he could feel them sending him. Zui had woken up from the noise and was now yawning, scratching its ear lightly before pushing itself further into his stomach. The corgi shuffled a little as Jean shifted, depositing it on his sheets as he climbed underneath to sleep. Before slumber claimed him as he felt the corgi moved, trottling over to curl up against his back, Jean couldn't help but smile. Well, looked like he was being relegated to the role of the little spoon. It wasn't a position he was used to, but he'd let it go this time. Ospin sipped from his mug of coffee as a new day sun shone from the windows of his tower. A new day in the start of a new term, as students moved about below, preparing for their day. Hopefully that peace could last. He would make so. The elevator door opened behind him with a quiet hiss, signaling the arrival of Galinda, but also, most curiously, of another person. Nice for you. A familiar voice rasped. Osman smiled lightly, knowing what was coming. Crow, it's not even nine in the morning. Galinda snapped. You're drinking now? I'm not the kind of guy to procrastinate, Crow said, holding his flask out. Too many people wasting time hesitating or getting lost in uncertainty. I'm not one to do silly stuff like that. I'm not sure those qualities should be applied to a vice, Osman said, turning about to greet the man. You're here much earlier than expected, Crow, and I don't mean because it's before noon. I'd still be outside of Vale if it wasn't for a certain someone. Crow pulled out a seat with his foot, twirling it about and sitting down on it backwards. Galinda sighed and shook her head, refusing to sit down at all. Ah uh, yes, Ospin said, sitting down on a large seat. Our new friend, I trust that the information he's provided was correct? Seems to be. The other man shrugged. Then again, all he did was show me what the White Fang were already doing. Not like he had any chance to tell any lies. Other than him being a friend, Galinda warned. <laughs> I'm not dumb. Crow laughed. Were you able to find out anything about him? Ospin asked, leaning forwards. Any signs? None. The hat blocked calls and Ruby score to make us think he was keeping it on him. By the time I tracked the signal on it, he was long gone. Crow leaned back and waved a hand. The thing was hidden behind some barrels. He must have planted it there when he was done. Perhaps there's some evidence on it. Galinda suggested. Can we see it? Mm, can't. Crow shrugged. Already gave it back to me, niece. Crow. That could have had valuable inf- I made sure to check it. He laughed. Cool yourself. I'm no amateur. 
there was nothing I could find. It was a day old and covered in dust, so no prints I could make out. If the guy even forgot to wear gloves. What's more, it was dark as hell when he called, so I didn't see much more than a mask. He didn't make any other calls either. Curious. Osmond said, steepling his fingers together. So this friend of theirs had known exactly who it was he wanted to call. That was a dangerous fact. More so if one considered that the person apparently knew just who to get in touch with Crow. Did Miss Rose have anything to say about where she had misplaced it? Well, she was damn well pleased I'd managed to find it. Crow looked immensely proud to have received such validation. Glinda rolled her eyes, clearly unimpressed with how wrapped around his family's fingers he was. Eh, other than that, she told me she noticed it was gone after they visited the mall to buy a gift for her friend's sister. I checked with Yang too. The story matches up and all her friends are with them at the time. The mall. Glinda sighed. Literally the one place in Vale where Miss Rose could have her scroll stolen and be surrounded by possibly thousands of suspects. We have nothing to go on then. Eh, I got nothing. Crow shrugged. We do have something. The two turned to look at him as he spoke, smiling behind his hands. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't our mysterious friend say he would contact you again? He did. You want me to talk with him next time? It cannot hurt. See what he has to offer. I trust you'll do what you can to find out more. He had a white fang mask on though. He could be a traitor to their cause, Galinda suggested. It's not unusual for some faunas to become... disillusioned with other methods. The woman gave him a long look, no doubt thinking of a similar student already under their protection. A mask means little. Ospin said he could be a traitor, but at least it could just be easily a disguise he put on for our benefit, or simply something he used to infiltrate their ranks. Or he could still be White Fang. Crow sighed, and a loyal one of that too. And leading us on, Ozpin admitted, Yes, I realize. Ultimately, what we gained from your little raid was nothing more than a few lowly placed grunts. The White Fang would be more than willing to sacrifice them to help a spy infiltrate our ranks. Worry not. I shan't be taking any risk with this. Are you going to tell Ironwood? In time. Ospin sighed, picking up his mug. His old friend would likely find out soon enough, but for now it could wait. The last thing they needed was a heavy-handed approach to a matter so delicate. For now, we should focus on our students. There's little more we can do until our mysterious friend contacts us again. His words were cut off by a beeping on his desk, heralding an important call. Galinda and Crow went silent, leaving him to answer it. Yes? Um, <clears throat> sir, there's been a bit of an incident in the cafeteria. Jean had no idea how it came to this. More ammunition! Yang roared, looking to him with red eyes. He shrugged, looking around for a moment before tossing her a bowl of breadsticks. They weren't the most aerodynamic of things, but somehow she made it work. Fate had to have a hand in this. It just had to. From what he'd been able to determine, certain events just had to happen and no amount of work from him could stop them. That had been the case with Beacon and the docks, but he hardly expected it to be the same for a sodding food fight. He pulled his partner out of the way of the first piece of thrown lunch, even gone so far as to knock Yang aside too, but that had somehow just brought the blonde into the path of another. Really, 
It was just too late by that point. Something got into Yang's hair and then suddenly the entire room was open warfare. One loop he finally snapped and cut her damn hair short. He'd die soon after, but at least it would be revenge. Jean. Why snapped? Falling back behind his barrier and fixing her eyes on him. Why aren't you helping? We're getting creamed out there. <laughs> Yang laughed, nodding down to some cream splashed all over the front of Weiss's uniform. Nice one, Weiss cream. What? what no, I, I did it. Weiss's face twisted in horror. Never mind. Get up and put some effort into this, you dolt. But I'm a pacifist. Jean whined. Weiss and Yang's glares could have frozen water solid. It didn't help matters when Blake flew overhead, launched away after trying to fight Pierre with a pair of baguettes. I'm queen of the castle, I'm queen of the castle. Nora chanted, we need a plan. Weiss said, huddling beside Jean as they heard other students try and challenge Team Ruben, or with varying degrees of failure. Rushing in isn't going to accomplish anything. Jean resisted the urge to point out whether she realised that after she rushed in and gotten covered in icing. There was a scream from behind, followed by a terrifying crack of what Jean definitely hoped was a watermelon. They needed more than a plan, they needed a miracle. From what he could remember, the fight usually ended with Pyrrha using her semblance to launch metal cans around, only to entice Ruby into taking advantage of that with her speed. What the hell was he meant to do when they were both on the same side? Why are you all looking at me? Jean asked, suddenly noticing that Yang and Weiss were waiting for him, and that Blake had dragged herself closer, her face half covered in pastry. You're the one who comes up with the ridiculous plans to beat superior opponents, Yang pointed out. Not that we're saying they're superior though, Weiss quickly added, or that your underhanded plans are a good thing. Blake stared at him. Okay, sure, criticized his plans when he used them, but suddenly they wanted him to somehow fix the situation. The table they were behind shook, some white flour crushing on the top down atop their heads. Time was running out it seemed. Plans. Plans. Most of his strategies came about not because he was some kind of genius, but because even an idiot could find an answer if they hit their heads against something enough times. He managed to find a solution to things like Roman, the docks, getting into Beacon and even a few other things. The Cinder, Adam and the whole vital attack was a matter as of yet unsolved, but he'd keep beating his head against it and figure it out one day. But the food fight? Had he ever actually won that? It felt like whatever team he ended up on, it was his fate to lose. It was his fate to lose it. Well, fuck that! Screw fate and all the nightmares that had put him through. Weiss. He snapped. Eyes narrowed. Can you cover the floor of the cafeteria in ice? No. What? His face fell. Come on! He'd only just gotten started. I don't have my weapon on me, nor do I have enough dust for that. She explained, looking down at her stained uniform. Alright, none of them had any weapons. Even if I did, the amount of power necessary to cover the entire floor in ice would be beyond me. Right. He sighed. Weiss's deficiencies aside, I got a different plan. Okay, wait. What do you mean about my deficiencies? Team Reuben forever. 
Pyrrha smiled at her partner's shout, the small girl holding her arms high. Cherry juice spilling from cans gripped in each hand to fall like waterfalls of blood on either side of her. None dare oppose our awesomeness. The championship fighter looked out over the ruined cafeteria, seeing the truth in their leader's words. This is childish. Her mind warned, but she easily buried it away. It was childish. There was no denying that, but it was fun too. There'd be no joy like this back home, no easy camaraderie and laughter. Perhaps that was worth whatever punishment lay in store for them. The Queen Spies Movement! Nora yelled, making good use of her vantage point atop a tower of stacked tables. Pyrrha gripped her baguette, drawing it in before her in a defensive stance. I said, Nora huffed, the Queen Spies Movement. Now, if my Royal Harold could do his job, Ren sighed. <sighs> the Queen Spies Movement. He passed them on. Voice deadpan. Ooh, that sounded so good. Nora clapped. Be careful. Pyrrha warned her partner, the two of them stepping closer to the down table Nora had indicated. There was no question in her mind as to who hid behind it. They wouldn't have gone down so easily. Ruby nodded, stepping to the right as Pyrrha took the left, the two of them flanking the table, culinary weapons drawn. Ha! Ruby yelled, leaping over and striking down. The confused expression on her face said no one was there. Behind you, Ruby! Nora yelled, warning them just in time to engage the two teens who leapt from beneath a different table. Had they crawled all the way there? Pyrrha spared an eye for Wyas, who rushed her partner before her own attention was taken by the calm face of Jean-Arc, a man who had more questions about him than answers. But his combat skills aren't in question. Pyrrha fought, easily deflecting his baguette with her own before chambering her strike to his back. Except that he dropped his weapon the moment she hit it. Below, a plate of beans launched up into her face. She cursed and fell back, wiping them away as instinct screamed to duck. She learned to trust them long ago, hearing more than seeing something pass by overhead. How like him to try and blind her? She growled and swung fiercely at him taking a second to wipe her face clean of orange when he backed away. Wyas had reached Ruby. The two engaging in a fast-paced battle, Pyrrha was at least confident Ruby could hold her own in. Her own opponent watched her with a small smile, not at all concerned by her reputation. But where were his teammates? Intruder! Nora yelled, leaping from atop her towel to stab a metal post into a watermelon, swinging it like a mace. Blake Belladonna stood before her, smirking with a chain of sausages hanging from one fist. Nora should be fine. She had stamina and strength for days. It was the last one she was worried about. Ren fought as best he could, giving ground at every moment as he tried to keep Yang Zhao Long, one of the strongest fighters in the school, at bay. A lesser person would have fallen in the first exchange, but Pira knew Ren was smart. He'd fought a tactical retreat, trying to divert and distract rather than to actually defeat his opponent. Even with a chicken on the end of each fist, Yang was closer to being armed than any of them. Her fist still hurt. Ah ah ah. The blonde before her warned as she tried to disengage and rush to her teammate's aid. Your fight is with me. You don't have a weapon. She pointed out, 
looking down at his bare hands. What's more, do you really think you can hold against me? I don't have to. Pira sighed. He was right, of course. And it wasn't exactly a strategy she hadn't faced before in group competitions. Someone would try and keep her busy while the other members of their teams tried to defeat her allies, letting them attack her together afterwards. A valid strategy, if a little sacrificial. It hadn't worked then, however, and it wouldn't work now. She lunged forward, cutting down towards his neck. Jean backed away, but she followed through with a reverse lunge, scraping breadcrumbs across his shoulder. Oh, well. He yelped, leaving back into one of the low tables. She cut at his feet, keeping an eye on his chest as he leapt over the blow, kicking a bowl of peanuts towards her face. Her hand knocked it aside, utterly wishing she had a shield as she pushed through the rain of nuts, cutting again at his shins. He dashed down the table, wood hammering beneath his gout and plates of food rattling and falling off with loud smashes. Pira sighed and leapt up, chasing after him. He was running towards Ren and Nora anyway, and she knew failure to give chase would have had him double-teaming one of them. She'd seen his fights. As underhanded as they were, he was someone who would try to win at all costs. She hated that, but she couldn't help but respect it. His blue eyes glanced back at her as she sprinted across the table, a brief grin sending a flicker of concern through her as he leapt high into the air, landing in a two-footed tackle, except facing away from her. What was that supposed to achieve? She found out a second later. He crashed into food, plates and abandoned drinks, kicking them into the air and creating a cloud of liquid, food stuff and a sort of detritus behind him. Pira's eyes shut as she passed through it, only for her to yelp as something solid struck her stomach, launching her off the table. Pira? Nora shouted. I'm fine. She called back opening her eyes in time to catch her opponent's cheeky grin, a cracked watermelon dripping from his hands. He led me in, created a smokescreen knowing I would have to cover my eyes, and then attacked me the exact moment I passed into it. Had he planned all that in advance? Or was it something he'd come up with on the spot? Jean-Arc was dangerous. She would not make the mistake of misreading him twice. Over to the side, she heard Ren yelp wincing as he was sent rolling back into some tables. For a moment she feared he was out, but several apples came buzzing out of the smoke, one exploding as it hit Yang's arm. Nora was doing fine too, swinging her mace as the quietest member of Team Jazzberry dodged and weaved away. Ruby cried out. Pira glanced aside in time to see her partner trying to halt her sprint to no avail. Why Snee grinned, carefully stepping back as Ruby slipped on the wet floor her momentum sending her shooting like a bowling ball into the wall. Wait, wasn't that the floor beside where they'd just been fighting? You planned that, Pira accused, noticing the shine of water on the floor. It was the drink he kicked up with his sliding. Weiss must have led Ruby into it, which meant she knew full well he was going to do it. One of them, and she suspected it was him, had figured out the weakness of Ruby's semblance. More speed and momentum was not always a bonus. Good job, Weiss, he said, getting a proud hmm and a nod from the white-haired girl. Pira tightened her grip on her baguette, glancing down and picking up a small metal serving tray to act as a shield. It was time to get serious. She had a partner to save.
Time for round two? He asked. You didn't do so well the first time. I'm a professional fighter. She chuckled. I'm used to people trying to rile me up, Jean. You can stop that now. Eh, I had to make the effort. He grinned. Weiss kind of ordered me to. In her defense, it's not a bad plan. Yeah. He shrugged. I said you'd see through it, though. If she asked, I'll say I was very upset. She rolled her eyes. Now prepare to lose. She kept her footing as she charged him this time, cautiously preparing to disengage if he pulled some trick off. He was unarmed, the watermelon having fallen to pieces. But that meant little. On a battlefield like this, weapons were everywhere, and he was very creative. He dodged along the side of the table, grasping some cold soup with one hand, but she didn't allow him to blind her this time, taking it on her shield. A relentless assault was her best option, stepping forward and launching a barrage of blows that hit him more often than he dodged. Pira's eyes sparkled as she noticed yet another watermelon on the floor. She wasn't sure why they had so many, but she took the opportunity to show him he wasn't the only one who could adapt. Flicking it up with her foot and kicking it against his chest, he fell back with a grunt, back slamming against the table as he looked back in horror, noticing how and where she was hurting him. He was cornered now, grasping behind him for a bottle of ketchup which he squeezed defensively towards her. Sod it, she sighed. I'll have a shower after. Taking him out so she could help her team was more important. Crap. He yelled, holding both arms across his face as she lunged for the final blow, only to find herself held back. Do you need me to do everything for you? Weiss asked, standing before him with a swordfish held in one hand. Her other was flat against its head, trying to push her attack back. Ah, thanks Weiss. He gasped, pushing and rolling aside. Weiss pushed her off, snapping the baguette in two with a swipe of her fish, flicking it towards Pyrrha's face a moment later. The champion fell back, rolling across the floor as the sharp point struck down where she had been a moment ago. Weapon. She needed a weapon. A cucumber surfaced, a lot shorter than she would have liked but at least solid enough to put up a fight against the fish. Back on two feet and with her footing once more, she was able to divert Weiss's weapon aside on the next thrust closing into her guard and slamming the tray towards the girl's face. Pale eyes widened, only for Pyrrha to be brought off guard when a foot slammed into the back of her legs, tripping her over. Thanks, Jean. Weiss nodded, the two of them standing before her. Their teamwork was a lot better than she would have expected. Pyrrha! Ruby cried, rushing to her aid. She's all yours. Jean grinned tossing the ketchup he had over to Weiss. She looked at it, smiling wickedly. Here, she said, passing him the swordfish in return. You could use this. Ruby, Pira warned. Slow down now. It was to no avail. Even as Pira pushed herself up, she watched Ruby's eyes widen, the girl backpedaling as she tried to stop herself. Weiss open-ended the ketchup, kneeling down as she squirted it across the already slick floor. No, not again! Ruby screamed, shooting across the floor as though she'd been fired from a cannon. Ren! Damn it. Things were going from bad to worse. Pyrrha flipped up and back, 
launching her weapon at him as she picked up another baguette, falling back to the tower in order to regroup with Nora. They could still bring it back. She was used to facing whole teams on her own, and her teammate was a powerhouse she doubted Blake had an answer to. Jean chased after her, rolling en route and coming back onto his feet with a trail of his own alongside his seafood. Did he even know how to use a shield? She'd never seen him with one. He knew. She figured that out the moment he used it to slam her guard open, lunging forwards in a move that would have ended the fight then and there. Had she not all her training and experience, she spun aside, flicking out to cut a line across his brow, only for her eyes to widen as he leaned back and launched his tray at her. That was her move. Right down to the way he spun into a crouch, chambering his next attack and following after. The shock was enough that she nearly didn't block it, falling back under the assault. When she did knock it aside, she had to deflect his attack with the back of her arm, wincing at the stinging pain as he pushed by and caught his shield once more. He even mimicked her twirl at the end, falling into a stance that was so obviously her own. Anyone else might have missed it. It was impossible for her to. Is he mimicking my style on purpose? That couldn't be so. Hundreds had tried, especially after watching her fights and seeing the fame she attained. Some managing varying degrees of success, but her shield throw was something unique to her. Not because it was hard to do, but because regaining her shield at the end of it was something she used her semblance for. He didn't have that, but even then he knew exactly where it would fall. Why would he even know or use my stance if he doesn't normally have a shield though? Something wrong? He looked and sounded confusion by her sudden shift. Pyrrha shook her head and smiled, dispelling her frown. So, he didn't even realize he was doing it. That was interesting. Either way, it wouldn't make a difference. He wasn't going to be able to beat her using her own style. That would be like trying to fight Ruby with a scythe. Pyrrha dashed in, trading blows as she pushed him back only to marvel at the way he seamlessly fought her, despite being noticeably slower and weaker. It's like he knows how and where I'm going to attack before I do. In fact, he is. His arms are moving to block before I move to attack. She was starting to see why people found facing her so frustrating. But more than that, she was starting to enjoy herself. It was clear Jean didn't care about winning or losing, The competitive edge present in her tournament opponents just wasn't there. And she loved it. It was a carefree fight. One with no stakes and nothing riding on it. There were no fans, agents or sponsors critically watching on. A wide smile cut across her face as she pivoted and drove an elbow towards his. Nodding as he pushed it aside at the last second, trying to slam his shield into her. Laughter sounded as she increased her pace and it took a second to realize the laughter was her own. He grinned too, their weapons slowly falling to pieces as they clashed against one another. It was an admirable effort, but he couldn't keep up the pace. Not under her blistering and sustained assault. His technique, her technique, was flawless. Yet his body and stamina couldn't match. Soon his back was against the tower they'd created, ready to be cut down which was right when Blake appeared beside him. Nora charged in a second later, chasing after her foe. 
but it was with wide eyes that she watched Blake and Jean share a calculating look and a quick nod. Nora, no! Pira cried. It was in slow motion that she watched a watermelon cut through Blake, the clone vanishing with a silent fizzle. Nora's attack was delivered with such power that it continued through, however, smashing into the stacked tables with horrific, predictable results. She tried to leap away, and it's a gas as she felt a pair of arms wrap around her waist, Jean-Arc having abandoned his weapon to hold on to her. <laughs> nope, he said, grinning as he brought them both to the floor. There was an almighty crash as the furniture fell atop them. Betrayal! Nora shouted from somewhere beneath it all. Sappers! Traitors! Shoddy architects! I want them all banished from my realm! Pyrrha rolled her eyes, conceding defeat as she let her head fall back. It was dark, what with the tables pinning them down, but there were light and with the aura the damage was non-existent. Looks like we lost this one. That wasn't such a bad thing. She couldn't help but feel... It had been fun. Losing had been fun. <laughs> I did it. The boy above her laughed. And was it her imagination? But his laughter sounded so light, so carefree and childlike. It was honest enough to make her smile, to share in his happiness. <laughs> I did it, Fear. I actually beat you. And his smile was so wide, eyes sparkling as he looked down on her. But that wasn't what caught her attention. Fear? His expression fell, face turning ashen. What? is the meaning of this?" A familiar voice cried out, and suddenly, her skin went white too. It never was explained why they didn't get any detention for causing that, no matter how many times he repeated it. It was one of the few things that Fate did he was willing to put up with. Getting involved in that was pointless. All you did was get beaten up, covered in food, and ended up looking like a fool. He tapped the bruise on his arm, a reminder of the tables that had tumbled atop them. It had been pointless. That he could admit. But it had felt cathartic to prove he could still make changes. That the future wasn't set in stone. It took me a thousand or so tries to win that. Maybe it would only take a thousand more to bring an end to all this. Well, as long as he continued to smash his head against it. Luckily, no one had ever accused Jean-Arc of not being persistent. No one had ever tried to worm their way into his good books so they could try and woo his teammate either. But it looked like the day was breaking all sorts of records. You're asking me, Jean said slowly, pointing to himself. If you can try and become Blake's boyfriend. Son Wukong nodded, smiling brightly. I feel like you should ask her. I will, but not yet. The blonde faunus grinned. I mean, it would be a bit weird if I just walked up and asked her out, wouldn't it? I need to get to know her first. Let her get to know me and show her I'm a cool guy she can rely on, and not just some idiot looking for a good time. Well, that's a fairly sound plan. Jean nodded, still not quite getting the point. It was a good approach, 
especially with someone like Blake. She didn't appreciate people getting close or trying to be pushy around her. His succession in the past had usually come from surprising her, doing something nice and catching her attention, then letting her natural curiosity do the rest. At least Sun's plan to get to know her first would stop throwing Blake's walls up. But I still don't get why you're asking me instead of her. See, I've been talking to Yang, Sun said. Oh god. Jean's head fell into one hand. Nah, man, she's pretty cool. That's one way of putting it. And she told me how you like the unofficial father of the team and all that. Jean sighed, looking past the blonde in time to see the assorted girls and guys playing Remnant in the library, making enough noise to create a pocket of empty seats around them. It's a joke of Yang's. Jean explained. You don't need to take it seriously. He really hoped Yang didn't send her own suitors his way. I get that, man. Sun quipped. But at the same time, I've seen the way they look at you. I was there at the docks when you came and saved our bacon as well. Don't think I've thanked you for that yet. Jean waved it off. As callous as it sounded, he hadn't done it for Sun. He would have stepped in to protect Sun, and definitely didn't want to let the guy be hurt. But at the same time, he hadn't even recorded Sun's presence, and didn't feel right to be thanked for that. Anyway, you're pretty cool and I know you're super protective of Blake. If you're willing to do all that for her, and since you're really strong too. Rumors of my strength have been greatly exaggerated. I thought it might be best to get your permission. Your blessing, if you will. Don't exactly want to invite the ire of a guy who burns down a warehouse district to protect his daughter's chastity. Was this what the rumors around Beacon were? Had Yang's stupid joke honestly taken hold this much? She could never know. She'd be too damn smug. They'd never hear the end of it. You don't need my permission to try and shut out Blake. Jean sighed, squeezing the bridge of his nose. Nor do you need my blessing. But what if I won it? Would you... Why would you even? Because I think Blake values your opinion. I think Blake values fish and smut. Jean rolled his eyes. I don't think she values anyone's opinion. She's too stubborn and won't listen to a warning unless she tries it and gets burned first. Ha! <laughs> Sun burst out laughing. That's such a dad thing to say. Jean rolled his eyes but didn't comment. So you're saying even if a total dirtbag came up, someone who wanted to sleep with her and brag to all his friends, you'd be fine with it. Jean's eyes darkened, lips pulling down into a snarl. No, he damn well wouldn't be okay with that. Blake was his friend. And in this life, a teammate too. She'd been through enough. Too much, some might say, to have some arsehole trying to play with her feelings. There you go, Sun said, poking his face. That's why I'm after your blessing. I like to keep my internal organs where they are. Oh, come on. Jean sighed. That didn't prove anything. Any friend would step in if another looked like they were being taken for a ride. It didn't even matter what gender they were. Sun had probably done the same from Neptune, and vice versa. Fine, he said. Do whatever you like. Sometimes it was easier just not to argue. I will. Sun slapped a hand on his back. I'll show you I'm a great guy and can be trusted with her. Just you watch. What was that all about? Weiss asked when he came to sit down beside her. 
shaking his head as the blunt Faunus tried to engage Blake in conversation. He wants to seduce me so that he can seduce Blake. Weiss blinked. What? I didn't say it made sense. He sighed. <sighs> it's Yang's fault. Ah. Weiss accepted that easier than she might have back at the start of Beacon. Or this Beacon, anyway. Sometimes it was hard to keep track which life he was in, or what he was doing. Hence his little slip with Pira earlier. Remember, she's not Pira in this life. The two of you are acquaintances at best. And speaking of acquaintances, you and Neptune, huh? Weiss glanced towards him, eyes narrowed. I saw the way his eyes lit up when you were introduced. He seems interested in you. Maybe it was cheating a little, given what he knew. But with scant little happiness remaining, it made sense to give her a little push. I did notice. She said, flicking some hair back behind her ear. He's handsome enough, I suppose. You suppose? He hadn't really paid attention, being dragged off by Sun while the introductions were going on. But usually Weiss would flush and stutter before Neptune. Had something changed? Or was she just putting the face on for him? Too embarrassed to admit how girlish she had been. He seems nice. Weiss shrugged before turning to him. You? On the other hand, I've been watching Blake like a hawk all morning. Don't think I haven't noticed. What's bothering you? I'm... just... He tried for an excuse, but gave up with a shrug. How does she look to you? She's as normal as ever. She's not. He tried to think of a way to say it without sounding suspicious, without having to give an explanation. I just thought she looked a little off. He shrugged. Maybe I'm imagining it. If she was still playing Remnant with the others, however, then that was a good sign. She usually stormed off, proclaiming them fools for not being serious about the White Fang. Had he done it? Had he managed to prevent that occurrence? Well, there is one thing. God damn it all. I didn't know if I was imagining it. Why said, glancing away. This morning she seemed a little... I suppose sluggish would be the word. Even during that silly display in the cafeteria... That you roped me into. Even during that unfortunate display, she completely ignored him. I feel like she should have been able to avoid Pira's attacks earlier. She was getting hit with things she normally would have had no trouble avoiding. It's like she's... Fatigued? Jean filled in with a sigh. Exactly. Not as obvious as with you. Her eyes narrowed at him, though there was no anger behind it. But she certainly looks like she's been spending too much time studying and not enough sleeping. Studying. Sure. Was that the excuse Blake was giving? She looked fine from what he could see. But that might have just been the makeup. He trusted Weiss's judgement. She had a good eye for details. It's not as bad as normal. Usually she would be angry and exhausted at this point. She's still acting like there's nothing wrong here. Did that mean his actions had managed to lessen the effect a little? Maybe it wasn't that he couldn't change this, but that he needed to push it a little further. Leave it to me, he said. I'll have a word with her. <laughs> Leave it to you? Why scoff? Who are you and what have you done with my partner? Eh. Jean blinked down at her. Since when do you actively offer to do anything? 
You will forgive me if it takes a few moments to process that not only are you taking an active interest in Blake's welfare, but that you're willing to do this so alone? His partner fanned her face theoretically. I must be hearing things. Maybe I'm still sick. So you... don't want me to? No. <laughs> By all means, go ahead. Weiss waved a hand, leaning back to rest her head on the wall behind them. It's nice to see you taking your responsibilities seriously. You could do to have a little more discipline with her. I'm only her team leader. Jean sighed, rubbing his face. That's what I said. Weiss raised an eyebrow towards him. What did you think I meant? Damn Yang and Sun both. Now he was falling into that stupid trap. Nothing, he said, turning back to watch the game. Yang had scooted over, letting Sun sit down beside Blake, who was shooting her partner an accusatory look. It was an odd scene, one he was used to seeing. It was only better now, with Blake not running away to work herself to exhaustion. But even when that did happen, it wasn't unusual to see them interact like that. Blake would be picky towards Sun for a while, but if he kept at it, she'd start to fall. Jean's smile faded when he recalled what would happen soon after, that they'd never really survived long enough to see whether Sun and Blake went anywhere, whether anything took root between them. Something wrong? Jean flinched slightly, looking down to see Weiss regarding him with an almost concerned worry in her eyes. When has she started to show concern like that for him? It's nothing, he said again. I was just thinking of my family. You must miss them. It's only been two days, but I saw how close you all were. And they all seem to like you too, he said, unable to hide the surprise in his voice. At the time, there had been the concern that they wouldn't, that they would hate his team for being part of the reason he was still on Beacon. It just went to show how much he'd fallen out of touch with them over a thousand or more deaths. He didn't know them like he ought to. I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. And don't worry about Blake either. I'll deal with it. Now I really need to find out where you've hidden my partner. Why I smuttered. I'm not sure where all this sudden responsibility is coming from, but I won't complain. Oh, she would. If she knew what he had in mind, he'd make an effort to stop Blake. When that inevitability failed, then the only option would be to keep doing what he'd done already. He wasn't strong enough to go fight against Roman and whoever else he brought into the scene. Crow was, however. But the man was also dangerous. He was Osman's most trusted agent, and that position came about as a result of the sheer amount of experience and cunning that Unsman hid behind his jokes and alcoholism. It wasn't the first time he tried to influence the headmaster with letters, ultimatums, or other hidden messages. Some had been ignored, others acted upon, but it had never been the solution he'd been working towards. It had never been enough to stop Cinder's plan. It had stopped Cinder, once or twice. The woman forced to flee into hiding, chased out of Beacon. But that hadn't stopped the events that led to the fall of Beacon. She had simply launched her attack from within Vale, causing untold casualties and devastation. At least when she turned on them during the Vital Festival, he knew where she would be, what her plan was. Pushing her into hiding just added a random element he couldn't do anything about. But the White Fang would be easier, fortunately. They were dangerous in their own right, none more so than Adam, but they were also a large organization, which meant there were weaknesses. 
things that could be exploited. It looks like the game's wrapping up. Weiss reported, drawing his attention back to Yang's impending and inevitable victory. Blake's patient looks fit to go with it. She added, watching as the black-haired girl stood up, saying something to Sun and Yang before storming away. It wasn't the dramatic explosion he was used to, but still a sign that she hadn't fully given up. I'll talk to her. Don't you have to talk with Dr. Oblek first? I know. I'll find Blake after. Don't wait up for me. On an impulsive instinct, he flashed a teasing grin back at her. Especially not in the rain. You'll catch a cold. He might have caught one too. Had he not looked away when her eyes narrowed into slits of ice. Still. With the clock ticking on, it gave him the perfect chance to migrate to a warmer climate. His eyes caught Neptune's as he passed the blue-haired teen. Noticing breakaway from Sun and the others to Suntor towards Weiss. Something's never changed. She would be happy with him. Ah, welcome Mr. Ark. Dr. Oblek stepped aside as he opened the door, beckoning Jean in. I've just made some coffee. Would you like a mug? I'm alright, thank you. It's not my personal blend, I assure you. I also have water or cordial. I'm okay. He said, taking the chance to look about the man's personal quarters. It wasn't the first time he'd seen them. Testament to his long time at Beacon. But they were still somewhat surprising. Knowing Oblek, he'd always expected the man's room to look like a bomb had hit them. Such was his famous energy. Either that, or there would be a strange and unusual antiques across the walls, maps, charts, and other curiosities. That was never the case. The room was well organized and free of clutter, the only sign of mess being a small stack of papers on the desk that had fallen over, a discarded mug resting by them. The rest of the room was incredibly tidy. Take a seat, take a seat. The professor, or doctor, waved to one of the four couches surrounding a coffee table, sitting down himself on one of them. Jean shrugged, taking the other but not leaning back onto it. He was tense, uncertain. This was new territory and he wasn't sure what the point of it all was. Miss Goodwitch said counselling. What a ridiculous idea. There'd never been anything like that before. Which raised the questions what had necessitated that this time. Tell me, Mr. R, do you know why Miss Goodwitch had assigned you here? Jean shrugged, not meaning the man's eyes. Mandatory sessions after what happened last term. Indeed, indeed. I would just like you to know that these are mandatory not only for you, but for any who are forced to go through what you did. You need not fear this is some terrible trap. Then, why isn't my teammate going through these? He asked. Blake had gone through the whole Doc shenanigans time and time again. Yet it never seemed like she had to attend something like this. He'd have heard about it. Mostly because she would have refused to attend. I think you must understand, the man said. These sessions are not for us to discuss what happened there, or how you were in danger. Huntsmen and huntresses are often expected to risk their lives, and such happens regularly during initiation. You are here because of something else. Can you tell me what that is? Wasn't that what Oblek was supposed to tell him? There hadn't been anything unusual about the docks, had there? Well, one thing came to mind, making him wince. I didn't mean to cause all that property damage. Well, he had. It had been the only way to stop Roman. But he hadn't really desired to. It wasn't something he'd be repeating next time. How curious. 
Oblek adjusted his glasses. Curious. I will see that my colleague was correct in her analysis. And tell me, Mr. Ark, what do you believe was the worst part of that night? My entrance? He answered easily. I didn't have the time to think of a better plan, so I had to wing it. He could have done better if he had more warning, but he still expected Ruby and Penny to bust in without him. Speaking of, should he do something about Penny? <sighs> As I thought. Oblek sighed. Do you know what I consider the worst part? The fire damage? It seemed obvious, really. He'd gone and burned much of the buildings down, many of which were still in use by companies. The economic impacts of his actions were probably still being felt. Not that he would have traded Blake for any of that. Not quite. I think the saddest part was the people who lost their lives there. Osmond told me there was no one in the warehouses. Jean's eyes shot up. It was night time and the area was completely dead. There shouldn't have been any casualties. And yet they were. The teachers said. I'm surprised you don't remember them. They were claimed by your sword after all. Claimed by his... The White Fang? Jean asked, relaxing just a little. I thought you meant innocent people. Does the distinction matter? Of course it does. Jean scoffed. They were enemies. Children your age shouldn't have enemies, Mr. Ark. Especially not those that are willing to kill. Is that what this is? Are you trying to convince me I shouldn't have killed them? That I should have let them get away with killing my teammate? Was this some ridiculous love and peace for all crap he was going to be forced to sit through? Life wasn't fair and kind like that. The Grim thrived, the innocent people died, and sometimes you had to kill in order to protect everything. Redemption was a nice word for those who could afford to risk the lives of their loved ones on the roll of a dice. As for his age, well, he felt he was more than old enough to have a few people he needed to remove. I don't begrudge your decision, Mr. Ark. On the contrary, I find myself quite impressed by the distance you were willing to go in order to protect a member of your team. That is a quality I can respect. What I worry about is how little time it took you to come to such a decision, how easily you are willing to write off the lives of others. So I'm a sociopath. He crossed his arms, leaning back. A fool jumping to conclusions might say so. Oblek nodded, but I am not that. You've shown, in your roundabout way, that you care for your friends. I would not call that the actions of a sociopath. Similarly, although it is regrettable, you are not, nor will be the last student of ours to be forced into taking a life. That is why these mandatory sessions exist, after all. The doctor leaned forward, pointing his cup of coffee at Jean. I'm not here to judge your actions, Mr. Ark. We have already done so and judged them just. I'm here to help you come to terms with them. I don't need that. Jean said. It was a simple statement, but nonetheless true. He could understand the gist of what the man was saying. This wasn't about changing his mind or punishing him. It was just a safety net to make sure their students didn't suffer any mental breakdowns from guilt or something. It was a way of showing they cared. He didn't begrudge them for that. It was just a smart and kind thing to do. But he still didn't need it. How many had he killed there? Before Roman had torched the rest. Three? Four, perhaps? How many had he killed during his life? Hundreds? Thousands? Sometimes none had to die, because he died early himself. Sometimes, when he made it to the vital festival, 
He was forced to cut his way through swaths of white fang terrorists. The numbers differed, but the results remained the same. Killing them didn't bother me. Jean shrugged. I don't feel guilty about it. Miss Goodwitch said as much. Oblex smiled. And I can see now that she was right. And that is why it is so curious. You have adapted to the burden incredibly well, suffering no side effects that aren't already part of your personality. Traditional studies might indicate your constant sleeping and exhaustion as a sign of the stress. But I am well aware of how you've been falling asleep in my lessons since school started. Are we done here? Jean asked. You already said I don't need this. I said you have adapted well. I do not say you no longer needed these sessions. Oblek turned away from him, drawing forth a small proscene tray with a teapot in the middle. He placed it on the table between them, slowly lifting off the lid and sprinkling some leaves he plucked from a box of premium brand tea into them. Jean watched as the man stirred them around with a long spoon, inspecting the water every now and then. It continued for a good six minutes, Jean sitting silently the entire time. Can we shh? Oblek shushed him with a little smile. Give it time, Mr. Ark. You have to allow good tea the time it needs to settle. So the man wanted to play that game, did he? Jean sighed, leaning back and closing his eyes, willing himself to fall asleep. Normally it would have been easy, but with Blake running around doing exactly what he didn't need her to do, this session being a waste of his time and his stupid slip early with Pira, he felt too frustrated to fall asleep. His mind continued to whirl, plotting ideas and plans, little things he could do in order to stop Blake, to stop the White Fang. Ah! Oblex sighed, finally placing the lid back on and pouring them both a mug. Jean gazed down on it, wondering for a moment if there was a little something extra in it, something to loosen his tongue. It was a ridiculous thought. He was being foolish. To his irritation, it tasted really good. Let's not talk about the White Fang for now, the teacher said. Instead, why don't we talk a little bit about you? I'd rather not. Okay then, Oberlek gave up easily. Too easily. We could talk about the job of a huntsman if you desire. He didn't want to talk about anything. This was just a big, confusing waste of time. What do you think of a huntsman's job is, Mr. Ark? The job of a huntsman or huntress is to protect the kingdoms and the people from the Grim. A textbook answer. I'm surprised you've even read it. What do you think their role is? The job of a huntsman or huntress is to protect the kingdoms and the people from Grim and also criminals. You would rank criminality on the same level as a Beowulf. It depends on the case. Jean shrugged, taking another sip of tea. Some crimes can be petty and solved by the police. Some can do more damage than the biggest grim. Sometimes the worst monsters are those that wear human skin. I could not agree more. Dr. Oblek tipped his mug. So it has been in history that we've been expected to hunt more than one type of prey. Did you know that is why we have sparring sessions against the human opponents? Jean shook his head. He had wondered. Once or twice. But the thought had never really bothered him. Training against humans gave him what he needed to fight against Cinder. I suppose that proves his point. It's regrettable, really. Perhaps in the future we will look back on this and consider it all quite barbaric. Personally, I believe it is an unfortunate necessity, though I doubt the textbooks will agree. 
history has an unfortunate tendency to forget the external factors that motivated people to make certain decisions. It's easy to judge from a high horse. Jean said, That it is. The life of a huntsman is never easy. We professors at Beacon are often considered the pinnacle, but believe me, I have made my fair share of mistakes. Probably less than he had. But then again, it wasn't the same and this wasn't a misery measuring contest. Every time he made a mistake, he got an opportunity to fix it. The man sitting opposite him had to live with the consequences. What would life have been like if he had been forced to accept a world where everyone died? It wouldn't come to that. He wouldn't let it. With regards to your little episode at the docks, I believe you made the right decision. I have a feeling you would have deeply regretted failing to act. Jean shrugged, though he knew the words to be true. Blake's death would have resonated further than this life, because it would have been his fault. Just like it had been his fault when he had convinced Blake to fall in love with him. Because Adam had killed her in response. I can't. I love you. Mr. Ark. There was a hand shaking his shoulder, eyes snapping open as he saw the professor leaning across the table. Closer than he had been before. When had the man moved? When had he closed the distance? Are you okay, Mr. Ark? I'm fine. Jean blinked watching the man lean back with a worried expression. Nothing is wrong. It was just a bad memory. He had plenty of those. I see. Dr. Oblek didn't sound convinced, but he didn't push either. If I might ask something different, would you mind telling me why you rushed off to save your teammate without alerting anyone? And I don't mean to suggest it was a bad decision. Oblek added when Jean made to speak. Only that I'm curious as to why you didn't seek to bring any support with you. My team was already out in Vale looking for her. Why not ask Team Reuben? I understand you were all quite close. That would have put them in danger. Something he wasn't willing to do. I didn't think of it. He lied. There was no way he could ask Pira, Ruby, Ren and Nora like that. Besides, he'd been confident he could get by. Even if the difference in strength between Roman and he had been bigger than he expected. Usually with two years of intensive training I can fight on his level. Especially since I know most of his tricks. This time, the man had been just too strong. Just too fast to get hold of. Why not ask us teachers? Oblak asked. We would have rushed to the aid of a student. I didn't think of it. Jean shrugged. Shrugging hopelessly. He couldn't have explained to them why he knew. Not in a believable way. What's more, it might have taken them some time to prepare. Blake hadn't that kind of time. I think we both know neither of those answers are true, Mr. R. The teacher chastised, smiling over the rim of his mug. Jean shrugged, as good as admitting it. The man wasn't a fool, but at the same time, it wasn't like he had an answer he could really give. Still, this is not an interrogation. If you do not wish to answer a question, then you do not have to. Were you confident you could rescue Miss Belladonna alone? Confident enough, he shrugged. It worked. It did. Oblek allowed. And in that regard, Tarman has proven your decision correct. I just find it strange that you wish to do this all alone. You were placed into teams for a reason. Mine was out. You know what I mean, Mr. Ark. 
You could have asked for help rather than risk your life alone. What if you had died? And then he would have reset. It was no big deal. What if Miss Belladonna had died? Then he would have killed them all. He would have made them pay. It wasn't until he saw the green-haired teacher nod that Jean realised the mug in his hand had cracked, his fingers crushing the handle. He took a deep breath and put it down, letting out a long sigh. It's not unusual for teams to form strong bonds between them. Oblex smiled. I cared deeply for my teammates, and despite my better judgement, I continue to do so till this day. That said, you might want to spare a thought for how they feel about you in return. Hmm. <laughs> I can hazard a guess as how they feel. Jean grinned loopsidedly. Usually his team was a different team, but even then his relationship with Ruby was far different from this. Most of it revolves around the word exasperated. That's funny. Oblex sighed. I would have said it revolved around the word love. Love. Jean grimaced, leaning back as to he regarded the man. Where on Remnant did you get that from? He asked. Sure, he loved his team. He loved all of them, both on Teen Ruby and Juniper. In some cases, he even made love to them, and been deeply in love with them. But that came from his experiences, from the fact that he had known them for centuries, because his entire life, nay, his entire existence, revolved around protecting them. Except that this life was different because this was the first time he had ever considered doing something different, of abandoning that ideal in order to ensure a better attempt the next time. With that in mind, he'd done very little to engage his team, pretty much leaving them to their own devices for the entire first term. How would that lead to them liking him? You look generally surprised, Mr. Ark. The man sighed, sounding quite sad about the fact. Do you not see it yourself? I'm not sure what you're talking about. Jean said slowly, uncertain. Are you not? Oblek raised an eyebrow, settling his empty mug down and checking the pot before letting out a little sigh. The reason why seems so obvious to me. Even if I am not part of your team, for Miss Belladonna you saved her life, risking your own to ensure her safety. She visited you quite extensively while you were injured. They all did. That's just gratitude. It's being polite. As for Miss Long, I seem to recall a certain case of a man protecting her during Forever 4, taking quite the set of injuries as a result. How? Jean cut himself off. You are wondering how I know? It seems to me a certain someone else was concerned for your safety too. He smiled. A little bird saw fit to tell on Mr. Winchester, saying even though you asked him not to, she didn't want to see you bullied anymore. Damn it, Ruby. It just had to be. That was exactly the kind of thing she'd do with that pure little heart of hers. Rest assured, Mr. Winchester served substantial detention for that display. Regardless, I seem to believe Miss Zhao Long became very close to you after that. Again. Jean rolled his eyes. Gratitude. And technically... That one had started sooner because Yang had been supportive of him ever since he'd given in to Osborne and spared her a criminal sentence. That was my fault in the first place. As for Miss Schnee, whether it is treating her like a normal person or helping to put the team back together after your little divide, it seems obvious to me that the two of you have become closer. 
and a third time's the charm. Jean deadpan. Gratitude, yet again. I'm not sure why you're so obstinate. Oblex sighed. Do you believe you have not done enough to earn their trust? You bled for Miss Xiao Long. You killed for Miss Belladonna. Life and death was easy. He'd done both a thousand times before. Those were nothing compared to what he normally did for them. He tried to be the best friend he could be. He listened to all their problems. Comforted them when they were down. He trained his hardest. He protected them. He kept them safe. He'd done none of that this time. The teacher's scroll rang. The man looking at it with a little sigh. And it seems that is all we have time for. He said. Silencing it with a click and collecting the two mugs. We're done then? Jean said, standing up. For now, yes. I will contact you when I have time for another talk between us. Jean growled, palming his face as he imagined the time that would be wasted. He needed to stop the White Fang before Blake could get involved. Hell, he still needed to talk to Blake tonight. Not to mention find which room Cinder's team had been assigned to. Keep them away from his. Make sure Roman didn't try anything with his family. So many things. And there was no damn timed. I don't need these sessions. He snapped, turning away and stalking towards the door. I killed those people and I don't feel a shred of regret about it. They made their decisions. They got in my way and threatened my teammate. I'll never regret it. I don't think you will. Dr. Oblek remained calm, hands crossed before him. But it remains that you'll be seeing me until I deem our meetings finished. I don't need counselling. We all need help, Jean. Jean paused in the doorway, looking back at the teacher who looked so calm, so bizarrely sympathetic. Help? He needed help? He'd been doing this for so long he'd forgotten what life was like without it. He knew more about how the people here died than he did about the first 15 years of his life. I don't need help. He knew what he was doing. Blake saw her leader walk through the door long before he approached her. She'd become not adept, but perhaps passable at reading his expressions. This one was new to her, however. An unusual mixture of frustration, humour, and anger. Hello there, he said, sitting down opposite. Studying again? My, someone's clearly very concerned for their theory scores. The sarcasm in his voice let her know he knew full well what she was doing. Or rather, what she was not doing. She didn't know how, but she didn't question it either. He had that annoying ability to just know. You look annoyed. She fired back, ignoring his comment entirely. Oblek talks too much. He shrugged, not to mention this little issue I have at the moment. Blake turned the page on a newspaper, discarding it when there was something more she needed. Her other hand jolted something down on a notepad. Aren't you going to ask what it is? He grinned. Why bother? I have the feeling you won't go away without telling me. Another newspaper appeared before her, golden eyes scanning across the page. Why don't you try to talk to Weiss about it instead? I already have. That's part of the problem. The article was obscured by a finger, Jean covering the words as he gently tugged it away. Blake gripped tightly, 
trying to pull it back, but she didn't want to rip it. You see, he said, a certain daughter of mine has started to act all moody and antisocial. I said it was just puberty. But Y seems to think she's too old for that. What do you think, Blake? What should I do? Leave her alone. She gritted, finally pulling the newspaper free. She knows what she's doing. That's the thing. His eyes turned hard, all traces of humor gone as he looked down on her. I don't think she does. If you're here to preach, I'm not in the mood. She'd had enough of that from Yang already, trying to make her break off this investigation. Did they not realize the danger? I know what you mean. He drawled, reaching for one of her discarded articles and looking through it. Sometimes I feel the need to catch up on my daily dose of terrorism's latest too. Nice to find someone that shares my interests. Jean? Blake warned, hissing his name. No? He raised an eyebrow, glancing back down at the page. Ah, I get it. You're an enthusiast on kerning, aren't you? Can't stand it myself. Especially when someone doubles it up. He was trying to get a reaction out of her. He was trying to get her angry. Blake took a deep breath. Ignoring him entirely, she picked up a different newspaper and started to read it. Her hand shook as the pages folded inwards, his fingers poking as he leaned in close. Oh, I love cartoons. Hold it there for me, will ya? Blake slammed her hands down on the table, pushing the newspaper down too as she glared at him. No cartoons? Why do you have to be so aggravating? You could give Yang lessons with irony that thick. Excuse me? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Jean glanced away as he chuckled. But the way he leaned further into his seat said he wouldn't be going anywhere in a hurry. So, I've been nominated to check on you after your little... Tantrum. It's not a tantrum, Jean. In case you're not aware, the White Thing have been stepping up recruitment. You... She paused, wondering whether she was right or not. It felt like she was, despite how he acted. He knew things. You know that means bad things, she said, watching his face. It's not something to be ignored. His expression was not an easy one to read. There was his usual stupid smile. The one he wore when he wanted her to think he was nothing more than a lazy buffoon. She didn't fall for that anymore and knew to look past it. It was his eyes which gave him away. Those blue irises which remained hard and focused on her. The corner twitched just the slightest bit. They're not being ignored. He said. Didn't that article last night say their place was raided? It did. She swallowed. That had been a surprise. Not just to hear that they were stepping up activities in the town but that the authorities were finally going to do something about it. But that would just be a setback to the people who I used to work with. You don't know how they operate, Jean. You don't know these people. Don't. The clipped word cut her off. His eyes were shut now. Teeth clenched as he tilted his head down towards the table. Blake's breath caught, though she wasn't sure why. When he opened his eyes once more, the oppressive aura was gone. 
but his little smile didn't warm her. It was colder than any winter storm. I think I know more than enough about how they operate, Blake. I had to fight them at the docks, remember? That was true. Not that she could ever forget him saving her life like that. The memory was enough to curb her anger, if only a little. There was no point getting angry at him, not when she owed him so much. It's not quite the same. She whispered, looking around to see if any others were listening. She would never normally have been so candid, but he was in the unique position of already knowing much of the truth. My old partner, Adam. He's much worse than a faunus you fought at the docks. He was fully willing to blow up that train you were on, killing everyone there. I know. Jean said, I was there. He was distracted. She said, flashing out that memory of just how. He's normally a lot more focused and I can tell you now. He won't give up just because one little meeting got raided. He'll come back bigger. And with more men until he achieves his goal. And? What do you? He poked a finger against her nose, making her scrunch it up. Think you can do about it. I can stop him. Can you? You couldn't even stop Roman and those white fang at the docks. What can you do alone against this partner of yours? Her eyes clenched shut, breath coming out in a rush as she was forced to accept that bitter truth. She had been a fool. True. But even had she been on top form, she didn't know if she could have beaten Torchwick. Even if she could, Adam was another matter entirely. With Sun, the two of them had been beaten so soundly, left to face the harsh reality of death. She would have died if it wasn't for... Help me. Pardon? She bit her lip, almost enough to make it bleed. I said help me. Please. I can't do it alone, but I'm going to try no matter what. You were able to fight the White Fang. An image flashed through her mind. The sickening sight of him killing her old comrades. He killed them. Just like that. But against someone like Adam? Was that kind of brutality what was needed? If you come with me, then it would be safer. We could do it. Or we could die. He said... Keep in mind that my apparent win over Worm and Torchwick wasn't exactly real. He blew himself up. You know that isn't true. She snapped, glaring at him. I was there, Jean. I made that up to cover for you. I know full well you did that on purpose, that you went in there fully prepared to kill him. If that shocked her leader, then he didn't show it. Instead of rolling his eyes as though that should have been obvious, what are you? She wanted to ask. What kind of man was he that he could think of life and death in such simple terms? Before, she had been afraid of that cold look. Back when she'd seen him threaten Winchester. It didn't bother her now. He was dangerous. Yes. There was also something wrong with him. She was aware of it. But the thought of him actually trying to hurt her just seemed... It just seemed stupid. Impossible, even. Jean wouldn't hurt her. He wouldn't hurt anyone on their team. It was with a little shock that Blake realized just how much she trusted him. Please. She begged. 
I'm not going to force you, but I will do this on my own otherwise. I can't let this go. But it would be so much safer if you were there as well. That way you can ne- Okay. She stared at him. Eyes wide. Huh? I said okay. He shrugged. I'll do it. What? You- you will? She gasped, waiting for him to shout that it was a joke. He didn't. He just watched her with a serious expression. No tricks. This isn't some kind of joke? Do I look like the kind of person who would joke about this? She wanted to say yes, but she just wasn't sure. Jean was normally so lazy, and danger avoidant that this just didn't make sense. But he rushed out to protect her before, her mind pointed out. Is it really so strange that he would do that again? Thank you. Blake bowed her head, letting out a long sigh of relief. Finally, someone was listening. Someone was willing to do something. Thank you so much. I know I'm asking a lot, but I really do appreciate it. Don't get excited yet, Blake. There are conditions. Conditions? First of all, you need to get some sleep. She opened her mouth to complain, but he beat her to it. If we're going out somewhere with a chance of combat, then it makes no sense for you to be exhausted. If you want to stop them, you'll need to be rested. I agree to that. It wouldn't be wasting time if it was preparing for them to go on a raid. Adam had forced rest on them too, before every big mission. So long as they were doing something and not just letting the Feng get away with things, it would be fine. I'll get a full night's sleep tonight. Secondly, you will apologize to the other- I will. She nodded. It had been childish of her to rant at them in the first place. This wasn't their fault and she already known an apology was needed. She just hadn't quite been sure how and when. And finally, you let me know where and what we're doing in advance. And you don't rush into danger without talking to me first. You already know you can't do this alone. The last thing we need is you going lone wolf again when we're supposed to be working together. As a team. That demand was a little harder to agree with, especially since she knew what he was like. Still, now that she had someone willing to help her, someone who was capable of fighting against the White Fang, she wasn't going to waste it. Perhaps he was right too. She had a team. As much as she didn't want to involve Yang and Weiss in this. Fine. She said. With one hand she pushed a newspaper across the table. Drawing his attention to the main story. This is an old safe house I know of. She said. With their last base gone. There's a good chance they'll regroup here. At the very least it should have some signs of their presence. Evidence we might be able to use. I see. We'll go there tomorrow. Or the day after. But not until I see you get some rest and make up with the others. Blake smiled in relief, collapsing back in her seat. He agreed. It was done. And they would be checking the place out tomorrow, or close enough to that. She'd make sure she was rested so that he couldn't make any excuses. I'll apologize to them now. She said. I'll make up with them and get some sleep. I'll stop doing this on my own and I won't rush off alone like the last time. I promise. And I promise I'll help you. He sighed. 
Thank you. Blake whispered, actually pausing for a second as she felt the uncomfortable urge to hug him. She didn't. That would probably be a little strange. But the urge was there. I will go apologize now. Thank you again, Jean. You have no idea how much this means to me. He didn't say anything as she slipped by and out of the room, her hand pausing halfway to touch his shoulder in thanks. He only watched as she left the room, sighing once she was gone he could look down at the discarded newspaper. Another safe house, he whispered, reading through the details. Blake wouldn't stop her hunt willingly, he'd known it was a stupid idea to even try and convince her. It was a good job that he hadn't bothered then. I'm sorry, Blake. He whispered, putting the newspaper clipping away in his pocket and standing up to leave. I've never been very good at keeping promises. He had a party to crash. The White Fang's safe house wasn't one he was familiar with, tucked into a corner of the docks that had remained untouched from the inferno only a few weeks before. The multi-purpose story building was only remarkable because of how unremarkable it was. Drab and grey with misty glass windows covered by iron grates, every now and then the lorry would pull into the wall exterior, parking against the loading bay and stripping something inside. The air was thick with fog. A saving grace considering the night-timed vision of the uniformed faunus he could see moving around the complex. Jean's eyes narrowed as he ducked behind a nearby stack of crates, stifling a quick yawn with the back of his hand. Another long night it seemed, though the threat of danger would keep him awake. There had been too much action and a little too sleep in the past few days, first with the assault on the place where they kept the paladins, then looking after Weiss and now another mission out in Vale. At least his team wouldn't notice his absence, since he made a show of flirting with an older student and telling the others not to expect him back tonight. Weiss had scoffed and crossed her arms, turning away as Blake and Yang gave him disappointed looks. He wasn't sure what to make of that. They'd always been quite embarrassed of his habits but never so quite personally infronted before. He shook his head, dismissing such thoughts. Right now there were more important things to consider namely how he was going to infiltrate and scrap another White Fang hideout. Hopefully that would mean when Blake and he came to investigate, she would see yet another example of the authorities proactively shutting down her old comrades. In an ideal world, that would be enough to convince Blake to give up. The world wasn't ideal, however, and Blake was as stubborn as they came, so he no doubt have to do it over and over until she got the point. Sorry, Blake. But technically, I only promised to help with the White Fang. She really needed to word her promises better, or listen to the loopholes in his. He supposed he couldn't blame her since the thought of lazy and sleepy Jean rushing out into Vale to take on a building full of terrorists was, well, it was a little out there. The more you think you know a person, he chuckled and vaulted over the crates, crouching down and stalking alongside the wall. A crack in and it gave him the entrance he needed it just being wide enough for him to wedge the toes of his boot in and reach up for the top of the wall. It was ringed and barbed with wire but the metal was rusted and weak, easily snapped and pushed aside as he climbed over. The gates a little further down ratted open again, 
another unmarked lorry reversing in with muted beeping, a white fan with a baton waving it back. It docked a second later, two fauners hopping out of the cabin. They moved to the back and helped to carry the wooden crates from the truck into the building. A small thrill of excitement shot through him, an emotion that seemed long buried as he realised just what this safe house of Blake's was. It wasn't somewhere to just hide, it was actually a storage facility for their dust. I'll have to remember this for the next life. Shutting this down could actually hamper them. It would do the same here as well, but with the lack of training and how weak he was, it probably wouldn't make enough of a difference. Either way, with the guards distracted he made his way towards the cabin, easing open the door and slipping inside. No mask or uniform, nor any weapons. With a sigh he reached down and pulled a lever, disengaging the handbrake. The lorry reeled back, slamming into the wall with a mighty clang that had a few people cry out in shock. It didn't do any damage, at least not to the building. Muttered curses sounded from outside as someone called another person an idiot and footsteps echoed towards the front of the vehicle. I swear I put the damn handbrake on. The man grumbled, slamming his hands into the entranceway and pulling himself up, only to freeze. Jean grinned and waved at the shocked Faunus. Hey there. The man opened his mouth to shout but Jean shrugged first, driving his foot up and under his chin, shutting his mouth with a loud click and also smashing his head into the top of the doorway. The white fan grunt fell like a sack of potatoes, slouching onto the felt seats. He would have slid out but for Jean grabbing the jacket and pulling him in. I'll take these. He said as he divested the guy of his white jacket, hood and mask. With his already black t-shirt, dark jeans and boots, the white jacket and mask managed to accurately enough complete the uniform. People would notice the subtle differences perhaps, but they would probably write them off as some new initiate not taking it seriously. Where's Rufus? A uniformed Faunus growled as he approached. Another stepped forward alongside him, forcing Jean to stop. Who? Jean asked, holding his arms wide. You're not with the shipment? A little late for a guard, isn't it? The neighbours have been getting a little suspicious of all my late night activity. Jean sighed, waving one hand dramatically. I had to make the scene of arguing with the missus just to have an excuse to lead. Bad enough the bastards think I'm scum for what I am now. Now they think me and Becker are breaking up. I mean seriously, can you even- We're on the job. The white fang on the left snapped, giving him an angry glare. Save your bitchin' for when you got this under control. Now get inside and help the others. There's plenty of lifting to be done. He had to suppress a laugh as he mumbled, sorry, and pushed past the two of them into the warehouse. That was the problem with terrorist cells. They kept their members safe by offering a degree of secrecy. But that also meant each person didn't know who was or wasn't part of their little group. Well, so long as he didn't end up coming across any of the elites, but he figured if Adam was in Vale, he'd know about it by now. The guy was hardly inconspicuous. Their interior was much of what he'd already expected. A honeycomb of stacked boxes and crates with several forklifts lazily drifting around the crowded room. If the people working there could place white jackets for high visibility and masks for harness, then it would have looked like any other warehouse operation. This was far worse, however, and as Jean slipped between two aisles of crates, he watched as two white fang members checked the goods, reaching a hand into a crate of dust and letting the red particles drift between their fingers. 
There's not enough here for it to be the main base. If Roman or Cinder would even be that stupid. This has to be a satellite one at best. Over the repeats he learned where some of the bases were kept. But never all of them. He began to doubt they even had a main warehouse. But instead had eat on the side of caution and spread the dust out over a bunch of minor ones. Roman was a professional and with the White Fang working alongside them, they had the manpower to run 20 or 30 different warehouses. Jean hummed as he touched his hand to the stolen jacket, feeling for the scroll he knew would be hidden inside. With poor old Rufus unconscious in the cab, it was only a matter of time until someone noticed what had happened. Best be quick about it. He whispered, pulling out the scroll and his own and thumbing his way through the contacts kept on his. As a precaution, Crow's details were under the title of Uncle Ark, something anyone would write off as being unimportant, at least hopefully. He darted into the stolen one, stashing his away and taking a deep breath. Crow didn't ask who it was as he answered the call, though the man's eyes did widen a fraction when he saw a hooded white fang member, blonde hair peeking out from above the mask. I had a feeling it might be you. He said, What do you want, friend? Jean took a quick breath as he glanced around the warehouse, just to make sure no one was close by. Just to offer a little help. He said, trying to keep his voice gravelly. He painted the scroll around the area, showing the huntsman on the other end the various stacked boxes. Is that? Dust. Jean confirmed. He stepped forward to lift the lid of one, showing Crow the fine, blue material stacked in vials inside. The warehouse is filled with dust. Shit. The man cursed. I take it you want me to track your scroll again? Jean nodded, and made to place at the top a nearby crate. Wait, 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 wait. Who are you? Why are you doing this? If you're using me to do your dirty work, the least you can do is answer a few questions. He would have loved to answer those questions. His hand even hesitated for a moment as he wondered if it would be po- No. He tried that before. A long time ago. It had just taken a few seconds to remember. I'm a friend. Jean simply said, placing it down but leaving the call going. Crow would be able to trace it from that. That's all I am. Something clicked behind him. You're no friend of ours, traitor. A masculine voice said before something struck his back and sent him crashing into some nearby crates. Pain roared through his body. A dull ringing in his ears as instincts kicked in and had him rolling behind cover. Something loud and yet muffled impacted the ground beside him. And it wasn't until the pain started to fade that his hearing came back to him. They said you never heard the gun that shot you. It had been a while since he'd taken a bullet. Ugh, thank you, Aura. He grunted, touching his back but letting out a breath when it came out away and not covered in blood. Any such relief was short-lived as more shots rang out. The White Fang shouting instructions as he heard rapid footfalls on his left and right. They were surrounding him, cutting off his escape while the first kept him pinned down. Okay? You still alive? Jean glanced down to the scroll he unintentionally kept hold of. Crow's face visible in it but the background now a blur. Was he moving? Running somewhere? I'm on my way. The man shouted. Hold on as best as you can. I'll be there soon. Panic hit him harder than the bullet ever had. A curse slipping from his lips as he threw the device aside and pushed up onto his feet, dashing away from where he had been hidden and deeper into the warehouse. 
embers sparked around him as shots whizzed over his ears and pinged against the granite floor. But the shooters were obviously trying to avoid hitting the dust crates. That would help keep him alive and gave him plenty of volatile cover to hide behind. But that didn't help with the time limit he now had. Crow was en route, both his saver and doom at the same time. The hunter must have still been in Vale after the last incident, which meant he needed to be out and away from here fast. Get out of my way! Jean snarled, crashing into a white fang member who had dared to try and block his path. The grunt hadn't the time to even raise his weapon before Jean was upon him, diving a knee into his stomach before twisting and pushing the man back into the oncoming shots. There was a muffled cry of but, no time to see whether the man had an aura or not, whether he was alive in pain, or slowly bleeding out on the floor. He needed a weapon, something he could use. Kuroka Morse was back at Beacon, too distinctive to bring out into Vale where any air at CCTV camera might spot him. There were hurried footsteps ahead, voices calling out orders as several dark shapes took up positions behind various pieces of unused machinery. Jean Swan ducked to the side, slipping slightly as a hand slipped down into the floor and his legs kicked off. Fire rained down on his last position but he grunted as he threw himself against the metal door, slamming it open as he fell through and looked around. Two windows, some filing cabinets and a desk, some unused office long since abandoned. He took hold of the desk, dragging it across the floor with loud scraps of wooden legs as he pushed it against the door. The seconds it could buy might save him, but only if he found another way out. The windows were solid, the steel bars behind them more so. His frantic eyes darted left and right, but no other escapes were visible. What use did a small office have of multiple exits? Something slammed into the door, the metal frame shaking but the door refusing to open. Somebody knock it open! Someone shouted on the other end before another bang echoed, more people throwing their weight into it. Jean spun towards it, and reaching for a weapon he wasn't wearing. He'd have to fight. He could do it too, if he got the drop on them. All it would take was disarming one and then using them as a human shield while he fired through. Nothing too hard considering he had aura they probably didn't. But how much time would that take? His eyes swung upwards instead, a sigh escaping him. <sighs> when did my life become like a Spruce Willis movie? The door ratted once more, dust falling from the wall as it became clear it would give away before the metal did. He paid little attention to it, dashing forward and leaping onto the desk, using it as a platform to reach the industrial ventilation system attached to the ceiling. The grate gave way easily, poorly maintained and falling apart as it was. His legs kicked in the air wildly, trying to repel himself as he pulled his body up into it. A fan lazily spun behind, meaning he had only the forward route which would lead over the area he'd been in before. They wouldn't expect me to double back. I could hop out while they're distracted and escape. As he crawled forward, it didn't take him long to come to an unsatisfying truth he really should have known already. The movies only had a tangible grip on reality. He winced as his hand pushed down on the metal, clinging loudly as he made his way through the vents like an Ursa trying to tiptoe its way around a house of mirrors. Screw you, Spruce Willis. How the hell did you make crawling through vents seem quiet? Suddenly gave way to haste. The sound so obvious the white fang below would have had to be deaf, stupid, and trying not to hear him. A little shit's in the vents! One shouted, 
increasing Jean's pace from panic to shit, shit, shit. A lance of light pierced the metal ahead of him, dust smote sparkling in it as the hole left by the shot had him freezing still. Open fire! His hands wrapped around his head, legs branching up as he made himself as small as target as possible. Metal gave way all around him, loud bangs sounding as bullets slammed into through the vents all around him. Each time one whizzed close, he flinched, gritting his teeth as he clamped down on the urge to move, the urge to flee. The hail of gunfire subsided a few seconds later. Is he gone? There's no blood! Jean's eyes widened. He must have moved. More shots rang out, but a shaky breath of air left his lips as the hole started to appear further down, rattling the sheet metal as bullets pinged and clicked their way through the vents. Blue eyes scrunched shut as he tried to calm his breathing, slowly coming out of his fetal position. His body ached too, testament to the fact that not all the shots had missed. I can't stay here. Eventually they'll send someone up to take a look. But the moment he moved, the sound would alert the people below once more. An explosion by what must have been the main entrance cut into not only his forts, but also the gunfire. Well, well. A familiar voice laughed. Look what we have here. I must be all kinds of lucky to keep running into you guys. No, not so soon. Jean's heart hammered in his chest, panic settling in as he heard the huntsman throw himself into the White Fang members. It would take him no time at all to cut them down. He growled as he dragged himself along the vents, trying to keep the noise as quiet as possible, just in case the huntsman heard it over the sounds of combat. The vents creaked as he moved through them, however, his clothing dragging loudly across the metal. It clicked and creaked ominously. It was as he made his way to a new piece that disaster struck. The metal, already weakened by all the gunfire, bulged and swayed beneath his hand, his weight pushing down as something holding it to the ceiling snapped with a loud crack. The world shifted. The metal tube he was in swinging across the warehouse floor and crashing into a shelving unit of crates. Jean coughed and hacked as he collapsed at the bottom of it, covered in valuable dust that threatened to kill not only through element properties but by choking. His hand pushed down onto it, lifting his head up as he wiped at the mask covering his face, clearing his vision. Everyone was looking in his direction. But it wasn't everyone that Jean Arc cared about. Blue eyes, concealed by the mask, stared straight into the red irises of Crow Branwen. The man's mouth opened, his blade lowering just a fraction. There was still a chance. Maybe he didn't realize who he was. One of the White Fang pointed a gun at him. Kill the traitor! He screamed. Damning Jean in an instant, all care and caution was lost, the shots that rushed towards him hitting the dust that had been scattered across the floor. Fire lapped at his back as he felt himself be hurled into the air, slamming down a good ten or so meters away as the explosion rocked the building. He hacked and fought for breath, staggering to his feet and limping away, glancing back over his shoulder. Crow spun where he stood disarming one enemy just using his hilt of his weapon, while another fell to a shot as the blade clicked to the side. He leapt into the air soon after, metal cracking and shifting into a scythe as he crashed back to the ground. One more mass foe down for the count. Through it all, however, the men's terrifying eyes remained locked onto him. His legs roared with agony but he forced himself on, 
the main entrance was doomed. He'd have to pass Crow to reach it, which wasn't going to happen. He stumbled into a fire escape instead, wincing with each step as he used his hands to drag himself up the staircase. Combat continued to sound below, but by the time Jean had managed to drag himself to the top, he heard the door at the bottom slam open. Oi, you! Wait! Crow shouted in a voice filled with panic. You're the one, right? Hold on! Jean gasped in equal parts pain and fear as he heard the man dashing up the stairs after him. The door at the top clinged open as he fell against it, dragging himself out and onto the roof. He couldn't stop. The slanted, metal roof was slick under his hand but he managed to push himself up and limp over to the back. There would be an exterior fire escape too, one he could use to reach the bottom. Jean reached the side, peering over the edge only to recoil back. Ocean waves lapped against the barrier far below, heralding the point at which the veiled docks began. The door to the rooftop exploded open, Crow stumbling out with a cocky grin. Haha, <laughs> there you are. He laughed. You gave me quite the run there. Jean turned to face him. Your info was on point again. Thanks for that. We'll close this place down. Reclaim dust too. It should push their operations back. The huntsman sheathed his weapon, holding his hand out to show that he was unarmed. The fact didn't make him any less dangerous. In fact, it only made things worse considering how low his aura was after the fighting and the explosion. Now that we've got a chance to talk, how about you tell me why you're doing this? Crow took a step forward. Are you upset with what the White Fang's been doing? Are you even part of them? A quick glance back showed that he was already near the edge of the roof, trapped between oblivion and the very real threat of imprisonment. I'm just a concerned friend. He called back. I get that. I do. You've been good to your word so far. So how about you and I sit down and have a drink, eh? It seems to me we're both after the same thing, so I don't see why we need to have all these secretive little calls. Work with him. <laughs> Jean's eyes drifted shut. The thought of it was enough to make him long for it. But life was never that simple. This wasn't the first time he tried to subtly feed information to Ospen and his people. It wasn't the first time by a long shot. Sometimes he did it too early and the headmaster didn't believe him. So he tried again the next times choosing his movements and working to win his trust first. Like all his other plans, he ironed it out, not with clever planning and strategy, but rather he had brute force the issue, trying whatever he could until it eventually worked. Let's work together, eh? Crow offered. Jean took another step back. He had tried over and over, and he explored every angle. Crow was a good man, the best of man, but he wasn't the only one in their group. Whether it was Ospin, Ironwood, or something else, working alongside them didn't work out. He would be interrogated, kept aside, allowed to offer information but not participate. Cinder would win. His team would fall and Pira would die alone atop a tower, fading into ash. He took a deep breath, letting it out in one long gasp. Crow seemed to understand what he decided. The conviction perhaps obvious, even with most of his face obscured. The man cursed and dashed forward, arm outstretched. Fuck, wait! Trapped between a huntsman and a deep blue sea, one would result in certain incarceration, the other might kill him.
there were no good choices. Jean held his arms wide and took another step back, closing his eyes as the world shifted beneath him. My man just fucking jumped. Weiss yawned and stretched her arms as the scroll beneath her pillow vibrated. She caught herself a second later, looking around furtively to see if anyone had caught such an impolite display. Luckily the others were all in various states of torpor and her display had gone unnoticed, as Schnee did not yawn wildly, nor did they stretch or show such weakness. She held a fist before her mouth, stuffing the last vestiges of sleep into it and standing up. Yang and Blake moved about with the grace of the undead, shambling back and forth as Blake pushed Yang aside and stole the shower. A wise precaution, with how long the blonde could take. Yang mumbled into the door, hands scratching on it like a zombie who had smelt blood on the other side. All of that wise ignored, however, when she saw the ruffling of the bed beside her own. When had her partner returned? The last she'd seen of him was when he was flirting with some stupid floozy, working his way into another bed. The clock on the wall told her it was nearly eight, leaving a little over an hour for getting ready and breakfast. She made her way over to his bedside with a put on upon sigh, looking down on him as he slept on his side, shoulder moving gently in his sleep with his back turned to her. Yang's dog was asleep at his side, curled into the cook of his body in a manner that almost… okay definitely looked adorable. That wasn't her being unschnee or anything, Zui was just unusually cute. She reached out a hand to shake Jean's shoulder, only to pause as she caught sight of his face. He looked so peaceful, yet at the same time exhausted. Without the annoying look on his face or the constant eye rolls, his face showed clear signs of fatigue. Her hand moved away, Maybe he could sleep just a little longer if he was tired. Her eyes narrowed a second later, recalling just why he would be tired and just what he'd probably been doing with some stupid girl the night before. She grabbed him by the shoulder, shaking him wildly. Wake up, you doll! She snapped. We've got breakfast and lessons soon. He grumbled but didn't move, prompting her to frown and try harder, reaching across to poke his cheek. His eyes snapped open, body twisting as his fingers latched about her wrist. Pain shot up her arm, a flinch and a gasp escaping her as she felt the bones there shift together. His eyes were bloodshot as they stared at her, all past her. Before she could say anything, Zui was up and on him, four legs on his chest as the dog licked at his face. Jean splattered and tried to push the corgi away, letting go of her in the process. Zui! He splattered. Oi! Stop it, bad. Oh, bad. Zui! No. Zui! Oh, okay. Hey, hey. Zui, no kisses. Zui! He descended into muffling curses a second later, glaring balefully at the happy corgi as he sat up. Weiss could only stare at him, still cradling her arm. <sighs> <sighs> he yawned stretching with his arms before smacking his lips audibly, looking out about the room. Her eye twitched, not only at the casual dismissal of what he'd done, but also the way he could get away with acting like that while her reputation would have been ruined. 
Nice to see you're awake. She snapped. Weren't you out picking up an STD? Uh, I always use protection. He said, missing the point entirely. I came back early. Someone interrupted our little party and it suddenly became a little bit too awkward to keep going. That must have been embarrassing for them. Yeah. (sighs) It was awkward, yeah. He yawned again, sitting up. She couldn't help but notice the red in his eyes and the way it took him a little longer than usual to stand. Irritation flared in her eyes as she scoffed and crossed her arms. What concern of hers was it if he got tired sleeping around? Let him make his mistakes and deal with the consequences. Is your arm okay? Jean asked, finally noticing her holding it. Weiss looked down at it, letting go and holding it behind her back. I bumped it earlier. She lied. He didn't seem to recall grabbing it, and despite his clear exhaustion, he was smiling and patting Zui. Part of her didn't want to ruin that scene. Anyway, it's gone eight right now and we have lessons. You need to be up and ready for breakfast. No excuses. Yes, wise. He sighed, moving away to wait for his turn in the shower. Zui fell onto the bed as he did, wagging his tail and trotting up to look at her. Good boy. She whispered as she rubbed his head. He nuzzled at her arm, which she showed with a little smile. My arm's okay. I was just surprised, that's all. Her aura had prevented any damage, but the shock of seeing her normally lazy partner's eyes like that had left her... unsettled. She spared another glance for him, watching as he leaned heavily against the wall besides the entrance to the bathroom. Eyes drifting shut and open again as he kept falling down before he would start and look back up. She tilted her head, wondering if she should stand nearby, just to catch him if he fell. Something was wrong with him. Again. She sighed and palmed her forehead. Why was it always her who needed to keep an eye on her team? I suppose someone has to. She grumbled. It might as well be her. The others noticed something was wrong with him the moment they saw him. Though she was sure they wrote it off as his usual issues, Jean responded to conversation where expected and otherwise ignored it where he wasn't. Which was to say he blatantly ignored anyone not part of Team Jean or Ruby. He proted and pocketed at breakfast, drinking his orange juice but barely grazing the grapefruit he picked up off the stand. He even had the audacity to ignore the porridge she forced onto his plate despite how she'd gone out of her way to collect it for him. He was no better in lessons either, though again it seemed less malice and more just him being unusually tired. He fell asleep in Oblek's lesson, again. Not unusual, but he took a little longer to be roused once the teacher called him. How he'd gotten out of that without a detention, she had no idea, but part of her suspected was because he was already having private talks with the man. You need to be more mindful! Weiss hissed as they left the classroom. If you fell asleep in Miss Goodwitch's class, she would kill you. If his opponent didn't first. Yang laughed. It wasn't a very funny joke, though Nora somehow felt compelled to giggle. Ah, cheer up, Mum. The blonde teased. You're just jealous Dad was about sleeping around again. Weiss's temper flared at that ridiculous comment. What he does to do with his various strumpets was no concern of hers. She would have told Zhao Long precisely where she could go and throw herself. But before she could, the blonde moved past to wrap an arm around her partner's shoulder. Still though, Pops. 
having to walk back alone through the halls. Talk about a walk of shame. So, how did it feel? How did what feel? His blatant confusion annoyed her to no end. She crossed her arms and glared at him. I'm not even sure he knows what shame feels like. She said. I would wager that he can't even remember the name of the woman he slept with. Uh... He couldn't meet her eyes. <laughs> Just as she expected. Psst. Yang whispered into his ear. Though not so quietly that they couldn't all hear her. I think she's high strung. You should just sleep with her already. The worst part was that Weiss couldn't even find it in herself to be angry at the taunts. Not because they were true, of course, but because Yang had been throwing them out all week. Haven't I told you before that repeating a joke doesn't make it funny? Yang stuck her tongue out in response. How very mature. Should the two of you be arguing so much? Ren asked, unwillingly putting himself directly in the line of fire of both of them. Are you working together for the school dance? Weiss is ruining it. Yang instantly reported. Ruining it? Weiss's eyes narrowed as she squared her shoulders, planting hands on her hips as she spun to face her nemesis. I am not ruining the dance. She said, if anything, your constant demands for more theatrix are going to ruin it. No one will even be able to see the dances if we employ a fraction of the smoke machines you wanted. No one will be able to get into dress if we do everything your way. It's a formal dance. It's supposed to be traditional. You wouldn't even let me bring in an orchestra. Because we want people to dance, not die of boredom. Why you- Ruby appeared between them, the rose petals that floated behind her heralding the use of her semblance. Guys, guys. She laughed. We're not going to fight before Miss Goodwitch's lesson, right? Ruby's right. Pyrrhus said. Besides, the dance is going to be a great event, I'm sure. I'm going with Ren. Nora cheered, throwing an arm around her partner's shoulder. The look on his face said he'd not be included in on the fact, but that didn't surprise him in the slightest either. Who are you all going with? All conversation between the group died. It should have been obvious from the start, but as they glanced around, it wasn't hard to notice that their teams consisted of six girls and two guys one of which had already been claimed. Sun has been asking me. Blake said, in the kind of voice that hinted she hadn't decided if she was going to accept the invitation or not. The Faunus turned to Weiss. He's been asking about you too. Weiss raised an eyebrow. He has? Not for himself. Blake hurried to add. I think he's been asking for his friend Neptune. Wait. So I'm the only one going stag? Yang looked and sounded horrified. Illic eyes flickering between them as though searching for someone to come to her aid. Don't worry. Ruby cheered. I'm going alone too. We can be alone together. The fact that her sister, her younger sister, said that didn't seem to help. The blonde wilted, swaying to side as though a light breeze might knock her over. Wise chuckled. Glad to see Yang on the other foot for once. You could always go with Jean. Ren suggested. Nah. Yang waved a hand. That would be weird. Besides, Jean's going to go with Weiss, right? And when was that decided? Weiss asked as she crossed her arms. Well, it hasn't been, but... 
It just seemed obvious. Just because we're partners doesn't mean we have to partner for the school dance too. That's not what I mean. Why swirled her eyes, cutting the girl off by raising her hand. It wasn't like Jean had shown any inclination to want such a thing, nor had she. They both had more important things to do. Jean, however, surprised her by speaking. Neptune will ask twice. She didn't know whether she should feel flattered at the certainty in his voice. It wasn't that she had ever doubted herself. She wasn't quite so dramatic as to stand in front of a mirror and waste time on a doubt. But it was unlike him to get involved in such things. He hasn't asked her out yet. Blake pointed out. Eh, he will. Jean shrugged, apparently uninterested in the disappointed looks both their teammates were giving him. He looked to her instead, taking a deep breath and releasing it with a sigh. I won't be going with anyone either, Ruby, so don't worry about it. Wife half expected Ruby suggest they go together, but it seemed even the socially awkward Ruby could tell when Summer could be just a little too socially awkward. She laughed and nodded instead, though Weiss didn't miss the relieved look on Pira's face. She hadn't shown any interest in guys at Beacon. It looked like a lot of them would be going without dates. Why are you going single? Yang sighed. You have more girlfriends here than full meals. Weiss's eye twitched at that comment, though it definitely wasn't an incorrect answer. I wouldn't call them girlfriends. She spoke for him. That suggests a level of emotional intimacy that isn't there. I'd be surprised if any woman in Beacon would dare risk their reputation to go with him. Wise. Ruby rebuked. No, she's right. It was Jean that came to her defense, grinning Loop subtly to show that he hadn't been offended. She'd known he wouldn't be, of course. She hadn't meant it like that. People want to go with dates they care about and who care about them. It's not the same as what I do. You shouldn't sell yourself short. Yang sighed. He blinked and looked between them all. I'm not. He said, I'm not upset about this. I'm just stating facts. Besides, it's only the school dance. It doesn't mean anything. Only the... Yang shook her head, blonde hair whipping across her face. How can you be so casual about the biggest parts of school experience? Your first dance. The first dance. Weiss almost jumped when her partner burst out laughing. Are you about to see how the person we go with is who we're going to end up marrying in 20 years time? He shared a look with her. Weiss rolling her eyes in return. That's surprisingly romantic of you. Did you read it out of one of Blake's smut books? Blake's eyes narrowed. Hey. Yang coughed and looked away. It's just the mood, okay? I know it's silly, but it's still the school dance. That's a big thing. <laughs> Ruby stuck her tongue out. No, it's not. I'll be going like I normally do. Weiss didn't miss the look on Yang's face when Ruby said that. Looks like someone's going to be ambushed and forced into a dress. Should have warned the girl, but technically, Yang aimed in another direction was a Yang she didn't have to deal with. It's not like everyone's going to judge you on your past. Yang turned back to the leader. I bet Weiss will go with you. Sure. Weiss rolled her eyes. Sign my relationship status away. Not like I'm standing right here. Neptune is going to ask her to go. John repeated, as though that answered everything. 
He hasn't asked her yet, and there's no guarantee Weiss would even accept. She will, Jean said, turning to her. Right? Weiss hesitated, wondering why he was looking at her so intently. She didn't know. It hadn't even happened yet, despite how confident he sounded. Maybe, she said, ignoring Yang's frustrated look. I don't know. Do we have to keep talking about this? We shouldn't. Blake came to her rescue, stepping forward with a sigh. Miss Goodwitch isn't going to be very forgiving if we're late to class. You know how she can be around Jean. Blake's right. Pira agreed. Ultimately, who we all do or do not go with isn't going to matter if we're stuck in detention. The others nodded and agreed. Yang gave her a frustrated look as they left, though for the life of her, she couldn't figure out why. It was like he said, it was just a dance. It's just a dance, and probably the only person he's never been to the dance with is honestly probably Ren. Miss Goodwitch's combat classes tend to come at the end of any given day. The better for them to work up an appetite and not have to attend lessons exhausted or covered in sweat. The latter was a boon for him, the former didn't change. Two, maybe three hours of sleep, and even then. It was only after he dragged himself from the ocean, half drowned and shaking like a leaf. The waves and dark waters had prevented Crow from following him. Hell, they'd almost prevented him from reaching shore alive. He was glad he had, of course. Drowning wasn't all that bad a way to die. It was strangely peaceful and floating, but so soon into Beacon would have been a pain. From there, it had been a sodden slog back to Beacon, sneaking through the Emerald Forest to avoid detection, fighting a through Grim en route, only to arrive back at five in the morning. Honestly, he was lucky Zui was the only one to notice him as he collapsed into bed. But it was done. He managed to shut down that damn place. Through all the exhaustion, all the pain, the difficulties he had keeping his eyes open during the day, that simple victory kept him going. Blake hadn't even noticed and didn't seem to now. She was engaged in conversation with Yang and Sun, though clearly trying not to humour the latter. Sun, for all his four boils, took it like a champion, shrugging off her rather rude behaviour and flashing Jean a grin at the same time. He's resistant. I'll give him that. Getting into Blake's good graces was going to take a little more than that, however. Hopefully Miss Goodwitch doesn't ask for you to fight. Weiss mumbled to him. Jean fought back a little smile, raising an eyebrow towards his partner. If you're about to make a crack about my concern, save it. You're exhausted and liable to collapse at any moment. She gave him a look up and down. Are you sure you're not ill? He wasn't. In all honesty, the water had been frozen and the chill temperature at night hadn't made his trip home any better. Avoiding Ozpin's security cameras was also a chore, though thankfully one he was a little more used to. He tended to learn where the main ones were after going through them so many times. I don't think I'll be caught up, he said. (sighs) Let's hope not. Why sighed? You're distracted when you're tired. What happens if you miss something or make a mistake? 
Then I get knocked around the ring for a bit. He shrugged. Don't worry. I'm fine. I just didn't get much sleep. It was a busy night. She scouted him for that, turning her nose up and ignoring him as she walked away to talk with Ruby and Pira. Oops. Oops.